There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, 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 yes. It's time for questions from the audience on the Tim McKernan Show podcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. The studios today, my basement. And uh, unlike previous questions from the audience episodes, uh, number one, I've moved to a more comfortable chair. Uh, Number two, I actually did some form of filtering in advance for... um, I don't know if you want to call it preparation, but the emails are getting so good that uh, what winds up happening, what has been happening when we do questions from the audience, and when I say we, I mean me because it's my fault, that I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember that one, then I wind up scrolling through them, and then I just fumble fuck around, and uh, and we never really have uh, a plan, so to speak. Not that I want to have a plan, but then I wind up skipping ones that I want to get to. And, uh, and, and so now I've gone through them in advance, which, which you go, oh, wow, that's really, that's taken the extra step. But uh, that's what I've done for this one. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 emails. And then there are some good ones uh, on the fan page, both from this week and last week. And I, didn't, I don't think I got anything from the fan page last week. So this question is from the audience might wind up being a record as far as duration goes. But I will give you a deep tease at the outset. We're talking Cardinal playoff baseball. I am in nerd mode. Um, I I can't believe I'm going to do it. Um, But we were talking impeachment. Got a good question on it, which I wanted to talk about it, but I think I'm going to talk about it in a way that maybe you're not hearing it covered right now. Um, And then uh, naturally you go Cardinal playoff baseball, uh, specifically rotation discussion, lineup discussion, and then uh, then impeachment, and then I guess what is what, what every newscast is doing, uh, uh, an email from a listener about, um, I don't know if you would call it a threesome or a foursome. I suppose that's in the eye of the beholder, but uh, vivid to say the very least. Um, and so we have that for you on this edition of questions from the audience from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I'm in a spot... Um, this is just a brief aside. This is kind of like what Mark Marin does for those of you who listen to him. And then honestly, uh, I fast forward through it and it drives me up the wall. So now, of course, what do I do? I do the exact same thing, but I'm not going into a guest. This is, this is, this is just a, a one hour, two hour uh, riff festival. So it's a straight ad libbing, but I'm, I'm recording this on Monday. So the Cardinals just won the division yesterday. They won't play for a few days. Some of the things we we may discuss today may be answered by Mike Schilt by the time you listen to this. Um, and some of you might listen to this a couple weeks from now, and the Cardinals might still be playing or they might be done. Who knows? But in the moment, this is the situation we have. Derek Gould, our guest this week. So if you want to go further uh, baseball nerding out with not just me, but with Derek, he's our guest this week. Um, that I am, you know, I turned 43 on Friday, uh, so uh, a few days ago, and um, I, I, I see pictures of myself 
Anna Maria will pull these up. She has that Time Hop app on her phone, and then she'll mainly to show pictures of our our two year old. Um, but occasionally there'll be pictures of us from like Las Vegas or even here. Um, and and I go, God, I look so just. I, I, the word I use is soft, but then in order to say that, then it means that I must be uh, hard now. And by that, I, of course, mean rock hard and erect. Now, what I mean by that is in better shape, but I'm not like ripped. I think that goes without saying, but I'm in better shape. And the reason I'm in better shape, it's funny. My wife is now, I've been preaching this on the radio and I, maybe it's, I would imagine it's had to have come up on the podcast, this book which I don't even know if many people in the fitness world even ascribe to is, but for me it worked uh, that I read in when we were in Las Vegas in like June of 2016 and we were lying by the pool. It was like, okay, I'm going to, I got to find something to read. And for whatever reason, it was like top 10 New York times bestseller, seller, at least in this genre. And it's called bigger, leaner, stronger written by Mike Matthews, who I guess has something going on. I honestly don't know if he's like respected or not respected. I just know the book not only explained nutrition and what works and it's a case by case scenario, but there's essentially formulas to it. The one that I always go back to is, uh, if you're attempting to build muscle, um, one gram of protein for each pound you weigh per day, um, so in my case this morning I was clocking in at 165, so I would eat 165 grams of protein and then you split it up like some kind of like maybe 40, 40, 20 ratio, 40% protein, 40% carbs, which I know totally is anti what you hear in 2019. But if you're going to be working out, you want to have carbs, uh, per this book, which I've been using now for three, three and a half years and then 20% fats as far as your macronutrients, and then to get an idea of what your uh, proper caloric intake should be. And are you cutting weight, or are you actually adding and eating more, but you're trying to build muscle? Neither here nor there. Probably something that most of you have very little interest in. But the book's name is Bigger, Faster, Stronger. And my wife is, uh, there's, a, there's a book for women. If I'm not mistaken, it's Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, something like that. And not that she needs to be losing weight, but she wants to get toned and then eat properly. And I've been talking about this thing. Um, and, uh, and now she's, she's in the midst of reading it. it. Anyway, the reason I bring this up, okay, there's a point, is that I have been, I track all in a spreadsheet. This thing is so, I like it. It's, it's, it's super OCD that I do this. And it's going back like into the 2007 range when I started of what I eat every day. I mean, here, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Column A, the date. Column B, the hours I slept. Column C, uh, well, like like as in, like I'm looking at September 1st. I fell asleep at 12.05. I woke up at 9.05. That must have been a nice day. Nine hours, holy shit. Um, most of the days, though, I'm getting up at 5.30, between 5.30 and, and 5.45 to do the show. Five of the seven days a week. And then how many hours total I slept? Uh, this app I use to ca- calculate the caliber of sleep, um, how many times I woke up in the middle of the night, basically how many times I had to piss, which is great. And, uh, what I weigh and what I ate, the calories, the macros, what I did that day working out. Um, and I track it all and it's fucking nuts. Now, maybe at some point this will have some value, but it's, 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 it's fucking bad shit. 
So anyway, I look at this thing, and I'm looking at it as I speak, because again, I'm getting to a point. And let's see, there was one day in the month of August where I did no physical activity. And when I'm, I'm including golf and physical activity, and golf actually burns a lot of calories, especially if you walk. Um, it's obviously not strength training, but it's, it's active. But, you know, it's not like I play golf every day. So I might have played golf eight times in August looking at this. So the other stuff is either running and I run intervals like high intensity intervals. So I'll put the, so this is what I do in case anybody really gives a shit. So two minutes, I'll just walk uh, to start and then I'll rev the thing up to 9.5 and run for 45 seconds, then walk at 3.5 for 45 seconds and then on and off. And on my, the day before my birthday, I uh, ran three and a half miles at that, at that pace. Um, and, And fortunately, it's not much of a, a push at this point, although I know inevitably it's kind of like hitting a golf ball. I know inevitably there's going to start being some regression. I'm just, that's, that's, that's reality of, of things. I don't know when it will start, but it will start. Um, and then I lift and the lifting and the program I use comes from this bigger, leaner, stronger thing. But I'm looking at the month of September and I'm recording this on September 30th. Now I did not do any of that stuff when we went to Notre Dame, but every other day, minus September 9th, apparently, I've either lifted, run, played golf, or done yoga. And so if we finally arrive at the point of, of, of bringing this up, because I guess some people are like, oh, you're bragging, you work out, which, you know, I mean, look at me. It's, you know, there's there's no appearance brags going on here. Um, that it's gotten to a point now, so I'm looking at what I did. So let's see lifted uh, chest, arms, abs, and played golf on the 25th, ran three and a half miles, and played golf on the 26th. Uh, Oh, I didn't uh, include that I played golf on on my birthday, absolutely, Uh, on September 27th, in addition to doing uh, squats and uh, leg press and abs on the 27th. Did yoga, played golf on the 28th. This was our, my birthday weekend, so I was playing every day. And then yesterday, to wrap it up on Sunday, ran two and a half miles and played golf. And I'm the reason why I'm playing so much, first off, my in-laws uh, took our son this weekend, so Anna Marie and I had the whole weekend to ourselves, which was wonderful for my birthday. Uh, and and I'm on the verge of breaking 70, I think. Um, and I want to try and do it, you know, before I hate when there are leaves all over the golf course. It just puts me in a horrible state of mind because I'm thinking of what's coming. You know, it's it's whatever it is, five, six months of cold and gray and rain. And I'm, I'm really, I guess there is such a thing as like, I don't want to, it's so hypersensitive right now, but something along the lines of seasonal depression. And I think I'm, I think I've created it for myself. I don't think I had it, but now that we've uh, lived where it's warm for part of the winter, it's, it's a, it's something that I think about. And if we're not going to go this year and I'm not sure we are like, holy shit that, you know, starting probably in late October until May, you just have this crap with occasional sunny days and relatively speaking warmth. I just am not doing well with this stuff, man. So I'm trying to do this before the end of the year. And, you know, at this point for me, I'm a 6.5 handicap. Um, 
I'm going to have to be firing on all cylinders to do it. But I shot even on the front nine last week, and then I had to leave the round because we had a TMA live at Hot Shots in Edwardsville, so I couldn't finish the round. Um, but uh, it's 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 teetering on the brink, and just because I'm a fucking mess, I'm consumed with doing it, and so now I've gotten to the point where I'm working out probably too much and running probably too much, and then playing golf probably too much, to the point that I, as I said yesterday, I played with the great Cletus, who you hear us make reference to on TMA, if you're a listener of TMA, um, and Dan Henschel, who's also referenced on the program, the Henschels, uh, and I'm like, I can't, my shoulder hurts so bad, my left shoulder hurts so bad, which I know is from lifting, and I feel like like I have a strain in where you would get a hernia, which is probably from either deadlifting or squats. In addition to the running, my legs hurt that I just am doing too much. And so why am I saying all of this? And we've been recording for 12 minutes and I've been babbling on about this. Why am I saying all of this? Because today I am taking a, it's a conscious effort and it is brutal for me to do this, but I'm taking the day off. From, I did the show and, and obviously doing a podcast and, and doing inside STL business. Uh, this is my second podcast, actually, because I interviewed Derek Gould right after the show. But I'm not lifting. I'm not even yoga. I'm not doing that. Like the, the yoga class that we would go to on Mondays at noon. And I'm like, okay, I got time. I can do it. I've done the Derek Gould podcast, and I'm like, I gotta take the day off. I gotta do it. I've been instructed to do it. I gotta do it, and so I'm doing it. Which will then, I'm not doing well with doing it because I'm I've programmed myself, uh, or I am programmed such that I can't. I've I I like will engage in some form of self-loathing, which is a foreshadowing to an upcoming question that uh, I have set aside in the, in the emails, um, that if I'm not working out, that I'm like not, not doing right, so to speak, which is just messed up. Because the reality is probably, uh, and this hits you hard, and it hits you hard and it hits you quick, that at 43, I probably should not be doing one of the things that it seems like I'm doing two of sometimes or three of sometimes in one day, which would be lifting, running, yoga, golf. It's finally caught up with me. It's like I'll see Tiger Woods, you know, after he plays four straight days and they'll interview him and what's next for you? Tiger? Oh, taking the day off tomorrow. Got to take the day off. And I'm like, really? I mean, just from playing golf, really? And then now I've played four straight days and I'm like, oh my God, I got to take the day off. But I'm lifting and I'm running. And what I'm saying hits you quickly is, because it, it does, it does. And it fucking, ah, I don't know if I want to say it bothers me so much as it's just a, it's, it's a, it's, it's an awakening. Now, maybe it's hit people earlier or maybe it will hit people later. I'm talking about on the age spectrum. Because mind-wise, it's like, yeah, of course, it's like, like fantasy camp how they joke about guys will run down the first baseline and they'll get hit by the sniper, i.e. they pull their hamstring. I don't know if you saw Missouri's uh, university system president ran at some halftime race when they played South Carolina a couple weeks ago. And he was crossing the goal line and then right then he, the sniper got him. The reason I bring that up is in your mind, you still think you can run like you did when you were 18 or 19 or 20. But in reality, it just is, it just, you can't do this stuff anymore. Now, I physically, I'm lifting more and I'm running harder than I ever have in my life. But the recovery time and the cramps, that stuff that wasn't going on when I was 18, 19, and 20. And so you have to like 
train yourself to go counterintuitive to how you've kind of gone about doing things, which is to rest. And I'm just not good at it. I always have to be doing something. It's a flaw. Now, I guess you would probably find a lot of people who have, you know, been successful as entrepreneurs or perhaps, you know, in whatever element, and they also have this same trait. Uh, and it cuts both ways. It, it, but, you know, physically, it, it carries over from like how you would be with business. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. And you like have to put like on some kind of, you know, control on it. And I just don't do, I don't do, I can't just sit and watch television. I rarely can just sit in the middle of the day and read as in read like a book, not read something for the show. I can read articles, but not necessarily books. I read books at night because I always want to be moving the football forward. It's, I, I don't know. I, I, I truly wish I wasn't this way, but then maybe if I wasn't this way, then I would bitch that I wasn't the other way. So uh, either way. Here's the deal. I'm going to be going long on questions from the audience, in part because I've got a million questions that I think are going to be uh, good for the program, but also because I'm just trying to kill time on the day to um, to make sure that I don't go and do something. Because even I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just go practice chipping and putting. Cause that isn't, and it's like, oh, it's still, still moving that left shoulder that's all messed up. So that's where I am. Now, I've gone 17 minutes in talking about this shit but I'm giving you the mindset. So that's why when I get to do questions from the audience and I look at it and I go, ooh, we got a lot of good ones, that gets, that gets my synapses firing, especially when we have one that is, uh, boy, I don't know how many words this is, but it is, it is a long and detailed story of lesbianism I guess it might be a foursome. I'm not sure uh, that that I know have coming that way. In addition to Cardinal baseball, and we're we're on the threshold of the the postseason, and so I get into nerd mode. And so the Derek Gould podcast is certainly a display of the nerd mode because um, I go. I it, it's like a switch now at this point, where I go from, um, you know, I, I mean, hell, I was. You, you, it, even 10 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, but for sure 15 years ago, I would have been freaking out over this weekend. And by this weekend, I mean the Cardinals-Cubs home series that was a debacle up until Jack Flaherty wrapped things up on Sunday. And I don't know, you know, Doug Vaughn and I have been talking about this uh, off air, actually, I think. And we both said it, and it was it was a sincere conversation. I think, that, yeah, the cat was out last week. Um and he goes, I don't know why, but I'm just not as excited about this Cardinal team as I have been on previous Cardinal teams. And I don't know if it's just age or if it's just... And I said, yeah, I feel the same way. And I don't know why that is. I do think age is a play. Or, or you have other stuff going on. You know, I mean, now I have a child. This is the first time the Cardinals have been in the playoffs where I have a child. He was born in 2017. They haven't been in the playoffs since 2015. But Doug's had kids for, you know, John Vaughn's like 30 years old. So he's... He's, you know, and Doug, Doug's been doing the TV and the radio thing for a good portion of this. So, I mean, he's got plenty going on. I think it's because I think deep down, I don't know if they're that good. But the thing is that if you would ask me about the 2006 Cardinals, I would have told you, yeah, I don't think they're that good. However, I mean, for real, I can, with my batshit memory, especially regarding baseball, take myself back to that series. And I bet most people don't even 
remember who the Cardinals played in the first round. They played the Padres. Played the Padres a hell of a lot. Uh, I guess they played them in 05 when they were expected to win. And they won that. I think they swept that. Um, and they uh, played the Padres in 06 when they were not expected to win. I mean, really not expected to win. And um, if you recall, the Cardinals uh, nearly blew the division at the end of the year. But they were able, Scott Spezio hit a triple and they were able to hold on to the thing. But still, they were an 83-win team, and there just weren't many expectations. But if you look back on that, if you talk to guys, whether it be LaRusso or guys who played on that team, they point out that right at the start of the playoffs, everybody got healthy. And so it was a totally different team. I don't see that coming with the 2019 Cardinals. At the same time, the 2019 Cardinals have something that I don't know if any Cardinal team, for real, this is a bold statement, but if any Cardinal team has had since this run run began in 2000, and I'm talking about somebody who's pitching like Jake, uh, Jack Flaherty is, which is reminiscent of what Jake Arrieta was doing with the Cubs in 2015. And, um, and so I'm anxious to see if that translates to the postseason because, I, you know, the only thing that I would say is comparable – is what Michael Waka was doing in 2013. But that wasn't that was that was a little different cuz he had just come on the scene. He didn't have as as long of a run as Flaherty's had. I mean, this is two straight months. He's the, the pitcher of the month. Um and he's he's unhittable. I mean, he's unhittable. I, he, the guy is he's been so close to no hitters this year so many damn times. And then when he gives up a hit in the 6th or 7th inning, he's like so mad at himself cuz he expects it. So you have that but unlike, and this is the negative, unlike take your pick of whatever Cardinal team, um, I guess maybe I, even 2015, they had that ridiculous, if I'm not mistaken, it was 2015, runners in scoring position stat. I think that's what they had. I almost had ridiculous starting pitching, but nobody was as dominant as, as Flaherty. The stats were really good, but I think, I know I personally thought they were going to lose to the Cubs in that series. I thought it was a lot of smoke and mirrors, even though they were a 100-win team. Um, so I don't, I don't know if we've got, I don't know if, if like the bar is set by having, you know, Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland and then Matt Holliday along with Pujols um, and David Freeze, even though I know he isn't, you know, um, statistically up there with the other names, but postseason-wise, he has those moments in addition to Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. Uh, he's, you know, I mean, he, he did it in the NLCS, too. They're just... I just look at this, and I guess theoretically, they could have it. Theoretically, they could have it. But, you know, I was sitting at that game. It was the first Cardinal game I had been to at Bush Stadium since, I think, like May or June of 2016, which is just bizarre. But that's the truth. And we went on Saturday night, you know, and it's right in front of you. And you can't, and as I'm always distracted by a million things. And the only thing I was doing on Saturday night was having beers with my wife and, uh, and hitting refresh on my phone to get an update on the Brewers score against Colorado. Um, you have, you know, the stats right in front of you on the scoreboard. And you're just looking at it and going, God, I mean, this lineup does not really get you excited and I don't really know who when they come up gets you excited 
outside of Tommy Edmond, which is really an odd statement, a statement that if I would have made it five months ago, most people would have gone, who the fuck's Tommy Edmond? Kind of like my reaction when I saw the, the, the Cardinal lineup the day after uh, the 19-inning game in Arizona, and there was a guy named Sosa playing shortstop, and I remember looking at the lineup going, wow, this is obviously all the backups, and then I got to the number eight spot. I go, who the fuck's Sosa? So, uh, of course, it can change. I mean, the weekend before, they were raking in Chicago, but got to got to quantify this, the wind was blowing out like crazy there, and that's a game changer. So, I don't know. I mean, I've seen so many Cardinal playoff games and so lucky to see so many Cardinal playoff games. And I think Dan McLaughlin said something along the lines of, on the broadcast uh, yesterday, the final game of the regular season, that the Cardinals have had like a total of five or six days in the regular season since 2011 in which they've been mathematically eliminated from a postseason spot. Holy shit. This is the stuff that Joe Strauss was talking about when he was talking about this adjustment for the fan base if and when the run comes to an end. And I am of the opinion that the argument uh, that the that the run is continuing whereas many others and I get it because they weren't in the playoffs in 16, 17 and 18 are saying the run is, you know, potentially just starting back up. I mean, every one of those years, they were in it until the final week or final day of the season. I just don't think those teams are very good. This team, I think, has a better shot of doing something. Um, But when I line them up against, God, everybody in the National League, with the exception of the Brewers, I would see, I would rank the Cardinals the fourth of the five teams. You know, I, it, it, the Braves fly under the radar. Everybody talks about how great the Dodgers are, but they're wondering about, you know, where Kershaw is at this point and where uh, Kenley Jansen is. Uh, the Nationals, including myself, have a lot of hype around them. Uh, and the Braves are this great team that that I don't think necessarily get the attention of the other division winners. Even the Twins, um, people talk about their offense and how many home runs they hit. So, um I just, I guess if the offense can catch on and if the bullpen, I just, you know, Andrew Miller scares the hell out of me. I just, you know, it's like how many games can they win outside of Jack Flaherty starts? Now, that gets us into Buck Swope's email, which is the first email. As far as the playoff rotation goes, I go with Miles Michaelis in game one. Before Jack needed to pitch game 162, I was thinking of having Michaelis pitch Michaelis or having Michaelis pitch game two. I know they both are. Better at home, but looking at Michaelis's game log, he's been fine on the road down the stretch. He had a disastrous start in Texas in May that kills his road ERA and uh, whip splits, but even in his bad starts, he's going five or six. Ignore the one loss record. Look at whip and K's per uh, K's and strikeout, or excuse me, K's and walks. Hudson walks more batters, and on the road, that's a more dubious spot because the crowd's going nuts, and there's more pressure on defense on every play. I'm also fine with losing game one if we have Jack in game two, Hudson and Wayno at home in games three and four, and Jack in game five. More likely for a day game in game four Monday with all four series going, whereas only two games on Sunday for the Wayno day night split. For game one, just give me the guy who will go at least five or six, not get completely lit up, and force us to go to the pen early. I'm a Buck Swope guy through and through, and I'm even more of a Buck Swope guy after reading this email. I, I agree with him 100%. And if you listen to the interview for this week's guest on the uh, podcast with Derek Gould, uh, we talk about the rotation. 
and Derek is essentially in lockstep with Buck Swope on this minus one thing. And that one thing is actually going with Wainwright in game three. I would tell you that the likelihood of a day start is higher on Sunday than it is on Monday. Um, I'm not saying that it won't be, but you want Wainwright pitching, I think, when, when as you make reference to a day game, uh, although his splits from 16 through 18, he actually was worse uh, in, during the day. But that 3 o'clock time, you know, he had a great start against Gio Gonzalez and the Nationals in game one of the 2012 NLDS. It was unhittable. Uh, he had that start against Max Scherzer a couple weeks ago, unhittable. And I think the 3 o'clock starts benefit him, and I would imagine Sunday's Game 3 will be the 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock start time. And then the Dodgers and what I think will be the Nationals, but who knows, uh, would be on uh, on Sunday night. I think that's just, I think it's like a lock. I think you're going to find the Yankees and the Dodgers in prime time as, as much as possible. Um, so the other thing that Derek Gould brought up, so I am, I am, I also agree with Michaelis in game one in a big way. Now I am focusing in on, and I talk about this with Derek Gould. I thought Hudson's start at Wrigley was really concerning. Now, as I point out with, with Derek, the umpire was kind of squeezing the low strike that day. And if Hudson isn't getting the low strike with that sinker, that's a factor. Um, and I know the Cardinals and every other team in baseball, because I know gamblers have it, the analytics on umpires. So I'm sure if they, they will know who's going to be behind home plate, um, perhaps that factors in. But when are they going to know that versus when they would announce their rotation? So here's what I would do. And Derek Gould actually presented it, and we're on the same page. And Swope, I would imagine you're on the same page too. Um, Michaelis in game one with Hudson out of the bullpen. That's the move. That to me is the absolute move. Michaelis, Hudson. Um, I worry about Hudson in game one on the road. Um, We don't have the sample size to prove it, but I just thought he might have gotten tight on the road in Wrigley with the stakes that they were, and that played a role in how just how it wasn't Ann Keel-esque, but he was... He was bad. He was uncharacteristically bad. And I just wonder how much of that was the atmosphere. So I like getting him in, uh, in relief, following Michaelis. It also helps bridge the bullpen issue that I think the Cardinals will have. Um, So Michaelis, Hudson, ideally Martinez, and you're up 1-0. Now, of course, I realize that's that's by no means a five-star lock. But that I like that. I liked Michaelis anyway, but then Derek brought up the Hudson element. And then, because Derek is of the opinion to go with Wainwright in Game 3, which I like as well, that allows you to have Hudson at home in Game 4. And then, of course, you would have Flaherty in Games 2 and 5 on full rest. Um, so that's where I am. And, and, and I'll tell you something. And this is... I'm going to pull this up here. Uh, um... You know, if you, I mean, the, the, of course, it, when it's all said and done, the name of the game is winning the whole damn thing. Um, and and if you want to win the whole damn thing, which, of course, everyone wants to do, um, you, you want to increase your probability of 
Jack Flaherty getting the ball in game one of the NLCS. Now, I realize, of course, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but just for the point of, of, uh, of, of the whole discussion, since the playoff schedule is already set, um, game one of the NLCS will be on Friday, October 11th. Uh, the Cardinals could have home field advantage. I actually would. Here's where I am, by the way. Do with it what you want. Um, if the Cardinals get past the Braves, I think the Cardinals are playing the Nationals. That's I, I just that's that's where I am on this thing. I think the Nationals are the team, um, and then that means the Cardinals would have a home field advantage. But then, if they could beat the Braves in four, that means Flaherty could start in Game One. Uh, and then that increases the, the the chances of seeing him three times in that series. I don't know how apt they would be to go with him three times, but um, just as an FYI, if he has to pitch in Game 5, Jack Flaherty at this point now is not going to be able to pitch until Game 3 of the NLCS because Games 1 and 2 are on Friday and Saturday. So this is, this is the crap that I'm talking about when I go into full baseball nerd mode. I start looking at the schedule and trying to piece together what to do. It's batshit, I understand, but um, that's where I am. So my rotation is also Michaelis, but with Hudson coming out of the bullpen in Game 1, Flaherty in Game 2, Wainwright, especially assuming it's a 3 o'clock start, 3 or 4 o'clock start, Game 3, Hudson Game 4, Flaherty Game 5. There is my rotation for the NLDS, and I will bet you that will be the Cardinal rotation and the plan for Game 1 as well. I really believe that. I really believe I think it makes sense. I think it's the right thing to do. I'm anxious to see if it plays out that way. Andy Van Slyke was in studio with us on the morning after uh, today, Monday, and he thought that for how effortless Flaherty was uh, on Sunday against the Cubs going through 7 on 69 pitches, that they could still look at starting him in Game 1. That is something I wouldn't rule out either. Derek Gould didn't think it was likely, but I wouldn't rule that out because Vance likes like that was like a light bullpen session for him uh, yesterday. The Cubs were not really interested in doing a whole lot. So um, I'd keep an eye on that one as well. But great email from uh, from Buck Swope. All right, let me go to the fan page. And uh, I had a bunch from last week that I know I didn't get to. And, uh, and that always bothers me when I do. But let me see what I got this week. I know we've got the wonderful Gabby Carter picture to tip me off where to, where to look. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast. So make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Timmy Recaps, star of questions from the audience. When is the last time, if ever, you saw this level of volatility in politics and the discourse surrounding it? Perhaps I'm wrong, and I hope to be, but no matter what happens in 2020, the trend suggests the polarization will remain. Is this where politics lives now? What, if anything, could correct or overcorrect the divisive current climate? It's a great question. It'll lead me into an email um, regarding impeachment. I'm going to tie them both together. Uh, this comes from the Godfrey Gunkel. 
Hey, Tim, do you think there's a chance that the Trump impeachment motion is in response to an unfavorable outlook for the Democratic Party in the 2020 election? In other words, it doesn't seem the Democratic candidates are rallying enough voters. So the impeachment motion to partially and to partially and attempt to drive voters away from Trump. I'm a middle of the road voter, but lean right. I just thought the timing was interesting. This is just my own brief aside, and then I'll get into the... I I feel like you hear I'm a middle of the road voter, but lean right more often than not. And I don't know if that means... Like, I don't feel like I hear I'm a middle of the road voter, but lean left. Uh, Now, it it, it probably also is I'm doing a show in St. Louis in the Midwest, and it's going to be more conservative. But I also wonder how much that is people who go, yeah, I really like a lot of Republican policies, but my God, this stuff where we've tied ourselves to the evangelicals uh, creeps me out and I don't like that part, but I prefer the policies, so I'll hold my nose and play along with some of the stuff that I think is wrong. That's what I think, like when you hear people, like what is, what do you hear more often than not in this part of the country? Um, Socially liberal, fiscally conservative. You hear that so often. Um, and I think that's kind of somebody's way of saying, yeah, I know we've kind of got this uh, element of the party that I don't necessarily understand uh, or support, but I like our policies. And if that part of the party is necessary in order to get uh, my policies and people in office, I'm willing to do it. That's what I think it means, but I don't know. Anyway, that wasn't the question. This is kind of a two-parter from two different people. I'll start with the impeachment element because it ties into what Timmy Recaps asked. For the first time since October of 16, when I was sitting in my office and I was watching um, cable news with the Billy Bush, Donald Trump, I believe it was Access Hollywood tape, where I thought, oh, that's that's it. And I believe just in a couple days there was going to be the debate at Washington University in St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken. And I thought, oh, that's the end right there. I thought that was the end of Donald Trump and they were going to have to figure out, you know, what to do. Um, And I think they might have thought that was the end also, uh, as in the Trump campaign. Um, For the first time since then, so we're talking nearly three years, for the first time since then, I think Donald Trump may have more on his plate with regard to this impeachment investigation, impeachment motion, than maybe the majority of the population thinks at this moment. Um, I'll give you my reasoning for this. Uh, Number one, it's, I don't know if I would call it simple, but I would at least say it's simpler than other elements of past Donald Trump controversies, certainly uh, the Mueller report and the uh, Russian collusion and all of the, you know, I mean, hell, you didn't even have people who were, well, hell, I mean, the attorney general, but, but, but Congress people commenting on it before reading it and then reading it and going, oh my God, but we can't say anything because if we say something, we know we're going to lose in our primary. You won't lose in your general, but you'll lose in your primary because we need the support of Donald Trump in order to win at this moment. And so they're playing scared, which I would imagine most Republicans acknowledge is going on right now. Um, but maybe they don't. I don't know. Um, and and then that gets me to the second point of why I think there may be more to this. And I'm not talking about the merits of it per se. I'm talking about the momentum of it. 
I'm not going to ever sit on this podcast. At least I don't plan to. Let me put it that way. Uh, to litigate something that would be a divisive political topic. Um, I will give my opinions, but those are more my, my own principles, and they're not applied to the politics du jour. In other words, oh, I'm a big fan of this person, or I am a big fan of this party, and therefore I will spin the shit to give you whatever you could hear on, take your pick of, you know, political cable news show or talk radio or whatever. It's just, it's not my bag. I have my own personal principles, um, and if they fit in with a party or they fit in with a candidate, then great. Um, so with that said, the momentum, not the actual, um, the actual investigation and the motion of impeachment, the momentum strikes me as different than previous ones because you do have Republicans, not all by any means, but you do have Republicans either saying this is very troubling or we need to pump the brakes on our blanket support uh, because there is something here. Um, and that is oftentimes, and I'll use an example that I guess you could say um, would be anti-Democrat. I don't know. It depends on how you view it. How did Barack Obama arrive at his support of gay marriage? Well, the honest answer is uh, it might have been determined um, that the White House was going to have this uh grand announcement, but in reality, it was Joe Biden, I think mistakenly saying, and I think it was on Meet the Press, I was watching when it happened, uh, his support of gay marriage. And I believe that was in 2012, which then caused the White House to then have to act. Um, But then once Barack Obama was able to say, my position has evolved, uh, then it kind of became like, okay, is it safe for the rest of us to say it? It took somebody, and in this case, Joe Biden, mistakenly, Um, I think mistakenly, in other words, not that he doesn't support gay marriage, but that he wasn't supposed to be the first one from the administration to say it. That's what I mean. Uh, And if you've watched the debate performances, you certainly can understand how he would have a slip up uh, that it became, oh, they're saying it. Okay, well, then I guess it's okay if I say it. So, you know, I'm reading, you know, take your pick of whomever. um, But uh, Jeff Flake, who... Uh, was a um, senator from Arizona who decided not to pursue uh, another term, and many would say he had no chance of winning anyway, as he uh, certainly took the opposing position on Donald Trump on a number of issues, and he and Trump not fans of each other, although he was very supportive of Donald Trump um, with uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, so it wasn't across the board, but he wrote an op-ed I think today, as a matter of fact, is either today or on in Sunday's Washington Post, in uh, in which uh, he says that Republicans cannot support Donald Trump in 2020, and that if you if you could have um, a secret vote, Rams relocation, a secret vote of the Senate, that at least 35 senators would vote on impeachment, would vote yes on impeachment. But he said because they know that they can't, because they will lose their jobs, they won't do it. Uh, And he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I read this a couple of hours ago, um, that you can find another job if you are to get voted out, but you can't find another soul. And at this point, we are fighting for the soul of the country, and you know that this is wrong. Um, Now, I realize for those of you who are either hardcore Republicans or big fans of uh, President Trump's, 
you're going, oh, you're citing Jeff Flake, uh, who is, you know, one of his biggest critics as far as somebody who's held office. And I would, I would absolutely agree with that. But what I'm saying is you have a number of people who are still in office in Congress um, who are uh, speaking out and going against what has been the grain with the Republican Party once it became clear that if you spoke out against President Trump, he will essentially end your time in Washington. And so I bring up the Biden-Obama thing because I think as this continues, now that you've already had a couple people be the trailblazers, like Biden was, um, I think accidentally with gay marriage, um, you may have others who would go, who are going to start to say things, and then there may be some momentum again. Momentum, not merit in the motion, but momentum on this. Um, as far as what the original question was, do I think that the Democratic Party is um, pursuing impeachment, or at least you know whatever they would wind up doing in the House um, because of the 2020 election? I think that's a really good question. My honest answer is I don't know. I think there was talk of that in the first half of 2019. um, And then Nancy Pelosi refused to do it because she saw what happened with the Kavanaugh hearings and thought it was only going to ignite support. This situation, I think, is different, as in I think that there is a real belief that this is a real issue. The, the, the thing is, is that it's been so clear for the last three years that so many Democrats under no, no circumstance will support Donald Trump and will do whatever they can to get him out of office. And many Democrats are hearing this and going, oh, you mean like what took place in, after the inauguration of 2009? And I would say, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I do think you can draw parallels to it. Uh, and if you don't see the parallels, I would imagine you're coming at it from a a place of bias, or you might be saying, well, the Barack Obama one was a different deal than the Donald Trump one, and uh, that it may have been rooted in race, or the Donald Trump one is different than the Barack Obama one, and that it has been a witch hunt on Russia from the very beginning because people couldn't believe or accept the fact that he won. Take your pick, but I believe that there are similarities and that you have nothing but gridlock because you can't possibly work with the other side with uh, what are considered to be polarizing people in the White House. So with that all said, the issue, I think, for the Democrats is it might have been the strategy. And, and those who follow politics were aware that there was talk of it. And so then when it actually does happen and it may have merit, it's being viewed as, oh, this is just a strategy. So I understand that thought process, but I don't necessarily think that's what's going on here. Um because if you do look at the national polls, Joe Biden beats Donald Trump. And I got to tell you, just taking another step back, because again, this is always just digression after digression. That really surprises me. That really surprises me. And as I always say, and I don't know a circumstance in which this will ever change, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I won't be voting for Donald Trump. Uh, that's, but at the same time, I also, this whole thing with, oh, if you voted for Donald Trump, you're take your pick of whatever ist or ism or whatever you're in support of. I, I don't support that. I personally will not have not won't vote for Donald Trump, but I also recognize, I, at least I think I see the landscape and I don't know what Joe Biden has done that makes people go, well, there's my guy and I'm going to vote for him outside of just not being Donald Trump. And Hillary Clinton wasn't Donald Trump, 
but I don't think that Joe Biden inspires people like Barack Obama did in 2008 or like Donald Trump did in 2016. So I just don't know how it's going to change that much. Maybe it will. But I'm t- let me put it this way. As somebody who is not voting for Donald Trump, with at, at, th- at this exact moment, at this exact moment, at this exact moment, because this could change by the time this podcast is even uploaded, but at this exact moment, I, I think he wins re-election. Um, but I do see momentum on this impeachment that I, when it, when it was first announced, I'll being, uh, as I'd like to think I do without throughout this thing, just being straight with everybody here. Uh, when I first saw it, it was like, oh, okay, they're doing the thing where, you know, they've been pressuring Nancy Pelosi to, you know, file for impeachment and then they'll wind up censoring him and, you know, because they know it won't pass the, the Senate and it'll be a, it'll be a tactic and whatever. And I rolled my eyes. But the more I read about it, the more I dig into it, the more I see Republicans talking about it, the more I go, oh, well, the Democrats may have hurt themselves by talking about impeachment, 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 when there may not have been real merit that they could have gotten behind just because they hate the man. And now they actually may have real merit, but some will view it as the boy who cried wolf, especially people who just kind of tune the whole thing out. That's what I think could be going on. Now, that's that's a public support issue. What actually goes on when it goes through Congress is a different program. So with that said, do I think that is why they have done it? My answer is, if you said, I got to answer yes or no, I would actually tell you no. But five months ago, if they would have done it, I would have told you yes. But part of that is because Joe Biden is actually winning uh, in the national polls against Donald Trump which, as I said earlier, surprises me. Um, So that gets me to Timmy Recap's question. When is the last time, if ever, you saw this level of volatility in politics and the discourse surrounding it? Perhaps I'm wrong, and I hope to be, but no matter what happens in 2020, the trend suggests the polarization will remain. Is this where politics live now? What, if anything, could correct or overcorrect the device of current climate? So to answer the last one first, as Tony LaRusso used to like to say on KMOX, Uh, The answer is a tragedy, whether it be a war or a terrorist attack, just like we saw in 2001. I've said this multiple times on this podcast, but that that to me is the instant answer. Now, maybe there's another answer. Um, I just I don't see I don't see 55 percent of this country under almost any circumstance ever really supporting Donald Trump. I just don't see it. I think this is a different element than George W. Bush. that's I just I just don't see I just don't see that. And now I suppose if you had another September 11th, maybe, but I don't see him changing, and I don't see that portion of the electorate changing. You know, whereas George W. Bush emerged as a leader even what eight months after Bush v. Gore and and the controversy surrounding that, which now 18 years later seems like a nothing. Um, in comparison to where we are right now, which I would agree with you on, Timmy Recaps. Um, and here's what I would say, because this is why it ties into the impeachment discussion to me. And, it, and, and by the way, it's also something that Flake wrote about in his op-ed. He does not necessarily know if he wants to see the president impeached uh, as, as much as he dislikes him. Um, I got to tell you something. When the when the when, as I just said when the when I f- saw the news and it was like at four o'clock that Nancy Pelosi addressed and I think she got network time uh, that the articles of impeachment they're going to move forward with it not in the house, in the house, 
and I'm just kind of going, oh, God, all right, we're going to play this game. Um, and I didn't think there was anything really to it, and I therefore I thought it was just going to be like a gesture in the house, and then that would be, that would be it. And the, now I'm thinking, okay, there really might actually be something to it. And as I said, for the first time in, since 2016, so October of 16, before the man had even won the election, uh, I feel like this one might actually wind up having a major effect on him, and it could wind up um, being serious. And I hadn't thought to take your pick of other things. I just never thought they were really going to result in impeachment or him having to resign, whatever. And maybe I'm wrong. Now, I guess as it's played out, I was right, but maybe I was in the wrong place on it. Uh, and the results, you know, it's, as I always say, I get it in with pocket aces, you get it in with King Jack, and you win with King Jack. It doesn't mean you made the right decision. You made the, right, the wrong one. Um, so sometimes results, you know, can make somebody feel like they were right. In this case, I might have been wrong. And I don't know how this is going to play out, but I do think that there may be some momentum where this actually could be real and perhaps more real than even Democrats, those voting Democrat, think. But let's say it actually winds up with an impeachment or he resigns from office as as Nixon wound up doing after something that was in, the, in, in its infancy. Now, I wasn't alive then, um, but, you know, I know enough about it from a potpourri of history class, it's not like all Republicans were like, oh, yes, he must resign. I mean, this was a battle. Watergate was a battle. And eventually he resigned when uh, a number of senators, Republican senators came to him and said, it's time to resign. I don't know if Donald Trump has that in his DNA to do that. But let's just play out the hand just for the sake of the discussion, because you're talking about polarization in, in 2019 and potentially in 2020. And people have asked about civil war on this. And when people think civil war, they, of course, think of the blue and the gray in the 1860s. And I understand that. I'm already telling you we already have some form of it as it is. But if Donald Trump were to be impeached or if he were forced to resign, which, by the way, I just can't imagine a scenario in which the man would resign. But who knows? Uh, I couldn't imagine a scenario in which he would win the presidency. So, you know, it's not like I'm sitting here batting a thousand on my projections. But if he were to have to leave office before November 2020, let me put that scenario out there. I think it increases the polarization to a level of danger in the United States. And I know that some might go, what in the hell are you talking about? That's what I see. Because what I would see happening is if he were to be impeached, like actually booted, or to the point that it's essentially a forced resignation. Those who love him, that 35 to 40% who love him, like love him, they're going to feel like, and I would imagine he would contribute to this feeling, that he was wronged and that their guy was forced out of office based on falsehoods. And that's going to cause all hell to break loose. Which is why anytime November 2020 comes up and, and the feeling that some, and I think a lot of people may have, who are going to vote for Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or whomever, uh, they just won't be voting for Donald Trump. And they've been waiting ever since November 2016 to vote for whoever will be the opponent of Donald Trump. Um, that, that That's like the happy ending. I keep saying it's not. This isn't going to, as, as you say, Timmy, recap, this isn't just going away. It isn't just going away. So whether it continues with Donald Trump in office through 2024 or um, 
he's voted out or in this case now potentially impeached, um, which I'm not like allocating a large amount of probability to, but I certainly think it's higher than I thought it was a week ago. Uh, I think you have all hell breaking loose and you go worse than now. And I say, yes, worse than now. I, I mean, I, and that's, so that's, so when Jeff Flake talks about it, his perspective may be different than, than where I'm coming from. I'm looking at it going, yeah, I think, I think, I think you have a, I think it's a wor- it's worse than if he were to be voted out. Now, now maybe he should when it's when all the facts are presented. Maybe there is great merit to it. I don't know, but I'm talking about the effects of it, because what I'm saying is, if he were to be impeached, do you think he's going quietly into the night? Do you think he will resign and walk up the steps of the helicopter of Marine One and hold up the the two fingers and fly off into the night? I I don't. And so what's going to happen? You're going to have the people who love him feel like he was wronged, and then you're going to have an even more divided country. So that's what I think of on this thing. And again, initially, when I saw Nancy Pelosi reading about moving forward with the articles of impeachment, I'm like, oh, God, here we go, you know. And then I'm like, is this, you know, the week has played out. I'm going, okay, there might be something to this. And now I see Republicans, not a bunch by any means, but multiple, getting behind it. And I'm going, okay, maybe this could actually wind up happening. And then if it happens, what in the hell what in the hell happens? So I don't know. I don't know. But I I mean, again, unless there is some kind of September eleventh, which no one wants, I just see this country continuing to be divided way more so than as you noted ever in our lifetimes i don't know what else i don't know what could compare to it certainly the nation was divided over iraq but that was a minority versus majority um um, i don't know vietnam i guess but i mean how many people listen to this podcast can speak to that and and even with vietnam which is something i can't speak to outside of just what we've read in, in history and documentaries that ken burns documentary by the way major recommendation um, you didn't have social media, which I think exacerbates this thing too. It's just like this, this fire is burning and it's, it continues to spread. And it's just like, there's the helicopters that you see in California that are pouring water on the fires, except our helicopters are pouring gasoline on them in the form of Twitter and Facebook. So, and cable news, and you didn't have that during Vietnam. So that's why, um, I think this is as bad as it's been. Uh, and which is why when people ask about civil war, I see it. It's just not, that's not like the North versus the South and dying in Gettysburg and Antietam, you know, it's a different program. It's fought on airwaves and it's fought on social media and it's fighting for minds and then, you know, people turning on each other based on who they vote for. But I'm telling you, man, for as bad as you think it's been, it's like, I think it's going to get worse. I really do. And I hate to say that because of what I think's going on right now. I don't know. God, I don't know. I did. The next 13 months. Holy shit. But it's like, it's not like the finish line is November 2020. That's the thing I keep going back to. It's, okay, Donald Trump wins. What do you think's going on? People are freaking out. For those who love Donald Trump, Donald Trump loses. 
what goes on? Those people are like, okay, we got to find our next Donald Trump. Or maybe he just like sticks around. I don't know. But uh, I don't know, man. The, the movement doesn't just die with either him having to resign, him getting impeached, or him being voted out, or him leaving in 2024. So great question. Naturally, now I go into this. Tim, I started listening to the podcast because of TMA, and then I was really only listening to the podcast for the interviews. But now I love the podcast even more for questions from the audience. And you have requested questions, as you call it, quote, as creepy as you want to submit. And then you don't feel like the audience has taken you up on it, with the exceptions of a few questions. And specifically, a couple of weeks ago, when a fan page member asked about your wife, and ass-eating season. Yes, I, I, you know what? I didn't get into the answer of the question, but I do tip my cap for people asking the questions because it's one thing to ask the question. It's another thing to bring my wife into it. But I, you know what? If I'm going to solicit the questions, uh, I have to be prepared for what comes, and then I just have to, like, you know, fade it if I don't feel like answering it. But that's what I keep saying. Submit whatever questions you want to submit. So anyway, I digress. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. So I'm going to share a story and then also ask questions, and maybe the people listening will have their thoughts as well. My wife and I, and here, here we go, boys. Uh, and I say boys because I would imagine most of the women are not going to be on board. But you know what? If you are, even better. My wife and I accidentally, and I say accidentally because we didn't plan on it happening, had either a threesome situation or maybe foursome situation with another couple last month. Now, my wife is hot and not the St. Louis definition of hot or the Charlie Marlowe saying he's a St. Louis six hot, but she is hot. And I know you guys get some of the guys texting into TMA who send in pictures of women they may or may not be married to or dating. But in this case, I'm not lying. At the same time, I'm not going to be sending in pictures either. Iggy, you're just going to have to believe me. I suppose I would be considered good looking as well. But my wife is L.A. I guess is la hot doesn't make sense. L.A. hot. So we're out at a bar in St. Louis late on a Saturday night after having a late dinner. We're a little drunk, and I guess maybe she was a little more wasted than I realized. A good-looking woman, hot, but not as hot as my wife, but still hot, comes up to, to my wife at our table and tells her how much she loves her dress. Now, unlike you, my mind doesn't automatically go to lesbianism. But now with hindsight, I should have known what was going on. God, I like this email. This leads to a conversation that I thought was going to be about 10 seconds and then turned into much more. As it turns out, they both went to the same school, although the woman who came up to my wife was older. And then it led to the game of, do you know so-and-so for about 15 minutes? Eventually, since his wife had been gone for so long, the husband had come over to the table and he started talking to all of us. 
I'm still not in the, quote, something is going on mindset. And again, I guess looking back on it, I should have been. But I'm still not, I'm still not sure even now knowing what wound up happening. Okay, did I read that wrong? I guess looking back on it, I should have been. But I'm still not sure even now knowing what wound up happening. Maybe it was all a plan, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just naive. We wound up having a couple of drinks together, although I wasn't as talkative with the husband as our wives were with each other. Eventually, the bar is closing, and the woman who approached my wife asks if we want to go back to their place to keep drinking. Now, this is the moment where my mind started wandering. Yeah, you're now you're, you're, you're late to the game, but this is my opinion here. Uh, you're, you're certainly catching on. But my wife was now definitely drunk, and she was having such a good time that she immediately said yes. We had taken an Uber that night, so we went in their car back to their place, which was only about five minutes away. I'm in the front seat with the guy driving, and my wife and her new friend are in the back seat. They're back there giggling for the drive to their house, and the whole time I'm wondering if something is going on. Well, we walk in, and the husband asks what we want to drink. We tell him he goes to make it, and that is when my wife's new friend makes her move as I'm sitting on the couch next to her. Wow, wow, wow. She starts making out with her, and my wife reciprocates. My wife had told me that she had fantasized about women, but it wasn't a big topic in our relationship. Well, here she is making out with this girl she just met, and she's totally into it. Boy, this is wonderful. Just like any guy, I'm loving this too, but after a few seconds of watching this, my mind wanders to a few questions. This guy that I had just met is going to be walking back in the room with drinks any minute. What's he going to say? What do I do then? What are they wanting to do? What does my wife want to do? Will she be pissed off at me in the morning that I didn't stop her from doing this since she was clearly wasted? As much as I'm loving it, I'm also thinking of all of this crazy shit. Now here comes the bad part, and this is awful. About 30 seconds into the making out, my wife grabs my hand. I'm thinking she wants to pull me in, but instead she pulls my hand and then she squeezes it like something's wrong, really tight. She stops kissing her and she says to her, I'm sorry. She then gets up and runs to the bathroom to get sick, except since we had just gotten to the house, she didn't know where the bathroom was and she didn't make it to the bathroom and then she threw up all over the hallway in their house. That's a buzzkill. To recap, I go from thinking I'm going to have lesbianism, as you call it, to cleaning up after my wife awkwardly in a stranger's house in about 60 seconds. The throwing up officially ends the evening, and then we have to sit there for 10 minutes of uncomfortable conversation waiting for our Uber. God bless America! We'd almost finally gotten to my favorite email and questions in the audience history, and then we have this unfortunate turn of events uh let's see so the throwing up officially ends the evening and then we have to sit there for 10 minutes of uncomfortable conversation for our uh, waiting for our uber the next morning i was wondering how my wife would feel not just about being hung over but about what had happened we had never had anything like that before as it turns out she wasn't in a good place but not because she was embarrassed but instead because she wanted to have the night go further than it did with her new friend. She was a little embarrassed. She also was a little embarrassed 
in telling me that she had thought about girls more than she had let on. So now that it's out in the open, she wants to pursue it. Now, my questions for you and anybody who would want to email in. What would you do? What do you think I would do? Uh, is, have you listened to the program before? Is it different when you're married than when you're having threesomes in high school and college? Okay, well, you were having high, threesomes in high school and college. Then you, you were playing at, uh, at a different, different level than, than I was. Um, I'm definitely wanting to see her with another woman, just like any guy would, but I don't know how to go about making it happen. This all took place because a woman came up to her. How would we do it if you were in our position what would you do? Well, I mean, I'm, I, uh, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled for you. Candidly, I'm thrilled for you. Um, I, I, I'm also, uh, I'm also very disappointed in the way the story ended. Um, I don't know if this was a, um, like if this was if this was like this woman's plan when she came up to your wife or not. My read, based on what you wrote, which doesn't really give detail on the conversation, is that I don't know. I don't know because I gotta. This stuff. This stuff never. As you, I'm sure. Once again, this is gonna shock the audience. You might be stunned to hear I don't have people come up to me and tell me how attractive I am. Believe it or not, women and men don't come up to a guy who's 43 now with male pattern baldness and like. 411 and say oh you're so stunning that doesn't happen um i guess you know years ago i suppose i was decent i was never aware as i've said many times on the radio and on the podcast which is great i'm glad that i didn't i didn't realize how important height was to women until like i be i was like 25 or 26 doing tv and doing live shots next to steve savard and it looked like you know mickey carroll standing next to judy garland um, so I had no idea how important that was, which is great because God, I could, I could still be a virgin if that were the case. Uh, if I would have known like how big of a deal that is to women, which is great. God bless to each their own. I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily a choice. I think it's just a uh, human nature and biochemistry and evolution and all of those things. I mean, what are you going to do? I can't fucking do anything about it. I mean, I think, I mean, so it's just kind of the way things are. So whatever. But, um, the reason I say that is because there are times, um, uh, God, I don't know, once, it, it, it's, I feel like once a month, but probably more than that, where a woman will say to my wife how beautiful she is. And, you know, she, it's, it's, I, I hope this comes off the right way. Fuck, I can't do anything about it, so who cares? But this is not a brag on my part. If anything, I think probably women see her with me and go, what the fuck is going on here? And I'm being serious when I say that. I'm sure many of you who know what both of us look like are going, well, yeah, for real, I actually think the same thing. I mean, like Cletus, I was talking about him playing golf with him earlier in the podcast. He's very he's very upfront about that thought. Um, so I, I understand that program. But she is, she is legitimately beautiful, like, you know, yeah, from from an appearance standpoint, this is a this is this is a mess, uh, and I'm talking about me with her, and I get it. Um, but so it does happen, and then of course I immediately like we were at a restaurant um, about a month ago, 
And I got to be honest with you here when I say this. The woman, like, so, and, and we, were, we were with our son, too. Uh, so this isn't like some, you know, you know, whatever place where, where you're going to engage wherever this uh, gentleman and his wife were, were, you know, on a Saturday night. This was like a brunch. Um, and there's a waitress there who's definitely attractive. Um, and so we're walking out and I'm with our son and I'm already halfway out the door to the parking lot. And I turn around and I said, Anna Maria, I go, where were you? Uh, I said, did I leave something? And she goes, no, I was talking to the waitress. And I go, about what? And she goes, well, she just stopped me and told me that she thought I was really, really beautiful. And I said, oh, that's so sweet. And I, and immediately, see, unlike you, sir, with your email, immediately, I don't care that it's 12 in the afternoon. I'm immediately in the lesbianism zone. Immediately. And my wife knows that by telling me this story, because she knows the program after 11, 12 years, she knows where I'm going. And I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know if like, you know, I'm going to be 75 and I'm still like going to be on this in this quest. But I'm like, okay. And I go, which waitress? And I go, oh God. I mean, that's, you know, this, this. I'm, and then I'm starting to think, okay, maybe that, that actually was like some, and, and, and it probably wasn't. But in my mind, I look for it. So I'm always looking for it. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Again, this has kind of been open, uh, opened up to the, the floor on what you would do in this situation with, with the email. But I, I gather that women will tell other women that they look pretty. I gather this. I also know that guys don't say this to guys. Straight men to straight men. Um, so maybe it isn't always lesbianism. I don't know. I mean, I, at the same time, I guess if I'm playing this hand backward, this waitress says this to my wife, and she sees that she's with, you know, either her husband or the the Make a Wish winner, and uh, and and uh, a two year old, you know. So, you know, she's got to be hip to the fact that uh, she's at least a, a mother, uh, if not married. But I got to tell you something as I continue to play this hand back. Um, you know, she waited until I was gone. You notice that? Well, you don't because you weren't there, but I know it. And that makes me happy. So this stuff goes on and then Anna Marie always does, oh, you're so sweet. You know, you're so beautiful too. And it's just kind of like, no, you know, get into the whole thing. Humor me, humor me. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she's getting hit on or not. Maybe sometimes she is. Sometimes she's not. It's probably not black and white. Either way, I like to think that she's getting hit on anytime this happens. And she gets hit on by guys. Too. Hell, we were at the Notre Dame game. And I don't know what the hell the deal is with the bathrooms at Notre Dame. But, like, she went in one side, and then you're spit out on the other side of the building. Who knows what the hell's going on? Then we go, and we're getting something to eat and drink, whatever, in, in Notre Dame Stadium. And, uh, and I don't know. And I go... Where were you? And she goes, oh, some guy was saying how, you know, and I go, oh, and I'm kind of like that, that I kind of, whatever. And that's, that's part of the deal. And that, that's guy, guys are going to fire their bullets wherever. And God bless. That's part of the game. Whatever. I never get worked up over that stuff. I always talk about like when I was doing the show with Artie Lang, like both of our significant others, I think it was his fiance at the time and Anna Marie and I were married. Uh, and this is in 2013 that I think, whereas 
like I was finding it amusing that they were out while we were doing the show, and this is like 12 in the morning in New York and lower Manhattan, and that there were some guys hitting on him wherever they were, I think at like some sushi place. And I think it actually bothered him for whatever reason. For me, I just, I kind of like, if you're with somebody who's attractive, that's the cost of doing business. And if you're the guy who's like checking up to making sure she's not getting hit on, you're probably creating a scenario in which she's like, okay, fuck this guy. He's so possessive. I don't want to be with him or I actually am going to cheat on him. So I just some kind of like a whatever on that stuff. And it's, you know, as I say, it's the cost of doing business. But with the women on women thing, that's where I, I absolutely want to be present or I want to hear as many details as possible. So with regard to this, I don't, I don't know if it were, if it were a plan at the same time, the fact that they asked you back to their house and they kind of immediately go into, you know, he gets the drinks and they, and she's makes the move right away. Like if that weren't all planned out or at least like something that they were hoping for, I don't think she makes out right away. But then again, I don't know. There's such a huge variable. Like how drunk was everybody? I don't know. I don't know. And then, then your other question of how do you pursue it? I don't know. I mean, how many like attractive bi females are making themselves available to, you know, married couples? I'd like to think it's everywhere, you know, and, may, and maybe it's, it's it maybe it's um, more prevalent in you know, in LA or New York or Chicago or Vegas or, you know, Dallas. I don't know. I I can't imagine it's really, I mean, first off, it's very rare in St. Louis in general, which I think is, maybe it's changing now, but when I was in my single days uh, to find a single woman, like single as in never married, no kids in her 30s. Um, of course it, it's, 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 not, I'm, I'm saying percentage wise, which I, th- and then I feel like the women who are, who might choose to be, or may have wanted to, and then something didn't work or may have wanted to get married, but something didn't work out, whatever, are kind of like shamed into, wow, oh, you got to find a husband soon, which I think is fucking just the worst thing. Uh, I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But for the purpose of this discussion, you know, where are like the, the single you know, what do you like if I, I mean, I don't know, I guess you don't say how old you guys are, but you know, in a spot where you're going to find like the, the single bi girl, I don't know. I mean, it seems like now there are, I mean, there are apps for everybody. I was listening to the Nikki Glazer interview on, uh, apps for everybody to hook up. Nikki Glazer on Stern, major recommendation for that one. So naturally, I've recommended the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary, and I've recommended the Nikki Glazer Howard Stern interview in which she talks about eating ass and not being on the receiving end of it, actually, her being the uh, the active participant. So major recommendation on that email, but um, or that interview. But um, she was talking about, you know, being single and, and all that, that comes with it. And then that she'd be willing to hook up with a with a girl for a guy, but she's not really into it and the whole thing. And she, then they're they're talking about like Stern asks her about, are you on that celebrity dating app? So there's a celebrity dating app, and maybe all of you listening to this are going, yeah, what the fuck, where have you been? But I know there's apps for like all of these different 
like subcategories. So, you know, you're already kind of have something in common. And I, you know, I mean, I just have never had to, uh, and I don't say had to, maybe some of you are like, oh, you never got, got to experience this app phenomenon. I remember hanging out with guys in Vegas when I was out there for a large amount of time in the World Series of Poker, you know, on a regular basis. And it was, God, I don't even know what year it would have been. But when Tinder first came out, and he's like, oh, this is fish in a barrel. And I go, what's going on? And he goes, all you got to do is you, just, you pick out a girl, and then you meet, and then it's just sex. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, you're not aware of that? I go, well, how the fuck would I know? I'm married. I mean, what am I doing? And, you know, and and he said, oh, yeah. I, now, now I guess it turned into a dating app. But then there are a million of dating apps. So maybe there are dating apps. So maybe we can provide a service here for... Um, for somebody wanting a threesome god bless i mean if your wife wants to do it i mean i'm all fine you know whatever is going to keep people's synapses firing is what i'm for you know my code is everybody's got to be on the same page you can't you can't be you can't be you know pulling a breaking ball you know um behind that's that's where i'm i'm not on board but whatever everybody has to do I mean, if you were emailing me and saying, you know, it, it was the other scenario, which certainly probably isn't going to titillate the audience because of the double standard of the one that you actually laid out, pre-vomit, by the way, in which uh, you had a you found that you knew this guy or you, I guess you didn't know, but you went to the same school and had a bunch of mutual friends. And then you wind up, you're so wasting, you go back, and then he starts making out with you. Uh, I would imagine people wouldn't enjoy the story as, as much. Um, but then you're like, oh, I discovered in that moment that I really enjoyed his beard on mine and I wanted to hook up with a guy. Um, I would imagine that there is, there is, there is an opportunity to do that via an, via an app. But if you're going to do it on the down low behind your wife's back, well, then that would be, but again, you know what I mean? Everybody's got their own stuff. I don't know. But if everybody's on the same page, God bless. And if she wants it and if you want it and then you find the third party who wants it, then great. God bless America. I mean, from my standpoint, you're the big winner here. But I don't know, you know, I mean, if your wife is as hot as you're laying out that she is, and uh, I can vouch for no picture was attached to this email, uh, as he said he would not be doing, then she's probably not going to have a tough time finding this. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, are there, are there, are there bars in St. Louis for those looking for threesomes? Are there apps? I don't know. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, first off, you had threesomes in high school and college, tip of the cap. Secondly, now you're saying your wife's hot. I don't know how many guys would actually say their wife's not hot. I mean, I guess maybe when it gets down to it, plenty would, but they probably wouldn't say it publicly. Um so you got a whole good situation going here, and now you're about to go get uh, the less popular MFF. I mean, you're 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 the big winner here. So, God bless. As far as I'm concerned, my only request is um, please please tell me how it goes because I want to see what's doing here, and if this becomes a regular thing. Now, I will say this: I talk about this, and this email talks about this, like this is something that everybody wants. Because in my mind, it's like, well, why wouldn't you? But there was a discussion on TMA, which led to people texting in. And like a guy was like, 
you know, I, I, I think he was older and I'm not saying that like, oh, let's feel sorry for him. Cause I mean, you know, at this point I'm 43, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm probably above the median age of the, the listenership, but, um, you know, they like older when I'm talking like late fifties, early sixties, like, why would you want to, your wife to be with another woman? And I'm like, cause it'd be hot. That's, that's my answer. That's pretty much it. Pretty straightforward and direct. But there are some people who obviously don't share this viewpoint. Now, they're not necessarily people that I would hang out with. Um, and I'm not saying that because, like, if you don't share my views on threesomes, then I couldn't hang out with you. I'm not saying that. It's just the odds are if you find it, like, morally reprehensible, um, then we're probably not going to be people who would who'd hang out. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just that we're just probably not going to get along. Not that I would not like talk with you, but I'm just saying like, as far as people I would hang out with, if you would like be like, that's against God's plan or something like that, that's cool. And you might actually be right. It actually might be against God's plan. I honestly don't know. Um, but I just, I do know that it would be hot. And as someone who has been fortunate enough to partake and as I've said before, not really be real active in these events. And, and really, I think the parties involved would have been thrilled if I would have just maybe uh, passed out or left. But uh, I can tell you, it's it's super hot. And I don't know why one wouldn't want that. But if it's just something you find to be wrong or something that you just think is, is not something that you would want to be part of, God bless, to each their own. So I should include that in there because you... Uh, sir, are asking the question, what would you do? And for me, it's like, well, I mean, why, what are you asking me for? You know what answer I'm going to give. Um, I, what I would imagine this will lead to are some great stories of threesomes, foursomes, moresomes, um, and some horror stories. I guess what I've heard from people who say, yeah, I've done it, and it wasn't that great, um, it usually comes to either somebody was way too wasted, which it sounds like happened here, or there's just too much going on. I don't, the too much going on thing, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know. But, but listen, it's, it, you know, it's not like I'm some seasoned veteran. And I also know that when these are going on, it's not like, uh, it's not like people are like, oh, we can't possibly have this going on if he if he's not here. Everybody would be a-okay with me not being present. I recognize my place in the pecking order, and I'm, I'm totally fine with the whole situation. So uh, when I was enjoying these, it was, uh, I was just, I mean, I was in such a good place. And I would wake up and, and just be like the happiest motherfucker in the world. But oftentimes, um, the person I was with, uh, and this, this spans some eras, wouldn't necessarily, because, because it wouldn't happen, like stone sober, you know. I mean, it would be, you know, so there's a hangover, alcohol-induced, and, uh, and then you have the, oh, my God, what happened last night type thing. And then it's like, oh, fuck. I want to I want to get up and do this again. You know, that's where I am. But I'm a I'm a I'm obviously a mess. So your questions to uh, to revisit uh, my questions for you and everybody listening. What would you do? I've given you my answer on that. Is it different when you're married than when you're having threesomes in high school and college? I, I didn't have threesomes in high school or college. Uh, I can't I can't answer that. I didn't remotely come close to threesomes in high school. I guess maybe it was possible in college. I guess. I know it didn't happen. I just, I was a very late 
and might still be in the midst of arrested development, late development. And so maybe as my peers, I would imagine the percentage of threesomes now in 2019 versus when I was in Columbia in 1999, uh, the percentage of students having them or who have had them has to be up exponentially. Has to be. It just wasn't commonplace. It was starting to happen. It was starting to happen right at the turn of the millennium. But I was just a little late, man. Um, so I would imagine it's substantially. Like nobody even really thinks anything of it. Oh, she's going out with her now. And it's just kind of like, oh, okay. And nobody goes, oh, is she loves me? No, she just likes her. You know, it's kind of like what Miley Cyrus has going on. Nobody really goes, oh, my God. You know, whereas the Britney Spears Madonna kiss was this huge deal. Now it's kind of like, oh, whatever. That was hot. On to the next thing. Uh, and uh, this all came up. This all took place because a woman came up to her. How would we do it? I don't I don't know. I, like I said, I would imagine there's got to be an app. You know what? Now that, now that I'm thinking about the app thing, um, I think somebody might have been joking with me about it, but said there is an app for, for couples pursuing threesomes or for singles pursuing a couple. I don't really know why a single woman would pursue a couple unless like like they're in, she's into both. But hey, if you can, God bless. I mean, and again, I the titillating part for me about this whole thing is your confidence with which you say your wife is hot. So then I can sit there and I'm 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 like in my mind, I'm truly picturing like a really beautiful woman and this whole thing playing out. Because if you wouldn't have included that, honestly, I would have pictured a totally different scene, and I probably wouldn't have addressed this for as long. I think I've spent more time on this than the Cardinals' playoffs and the impeachment thing. So tells you where my priorities are. Um, so I don't know. I, I I know this. I need you to keep me abreast of where things go. And this email was sent in four days ago, so maybe something has happened uh, since. But um, I'm... I'm waiting with bated breath on where this thing is going. Uh, let's see. If you were in a position, would you do it? How would we do it? I don't know. I mean, to me, like an app, I would guess, unless you're just out. But I just don't know how that whole thing would play out. And I don't know what your wife's confidence level is on it. You know, would she be willing to do it, but is she not comfortable being like the aggressor? Because it's a different ball game when you're going up to a woman because you don't know. You don't know if she's into the whole thing. And it, you know, so I don't know, but no matter what, uh, please keep me abreast of this. And and uh, and, and 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 for those of you listening, who have been down this road, I would imagine you've had positive experiences. I just don't know, like, what could be a, a negative experience on the whole thing. Again, assuming everybody involved is wanting it to happen, but um, you know. Your your wife has given you the green light here, and if anything, has kind of come out to you in a way. Who uh, did that recently? Oh, what, Julianne Hoff, right? She got married, and then she came out to her husband as bisexual, and he and she's like, he was so supportive, and I'm like, oh, you don't say. <laughs> you know, I mean, what the, the fuck else is he gonna be? You be mad about that? I mean, his, his the whole world just got better for him. He's already happy. He's already got her, and now he's got oh, now we get to have threesomes. This is wonderful. Uh, all right, Team McKernan inside STL.com. You, uh, you want to answer this gentleman's questions? I don't know. I mean, and you know what would be wonderful? Those of you going, okay, Tim, I'll write in. I'm against this, and you're going to make fun. I'm not going to make fun of you because I'm obviously 
on the on the pervert side of the scale here, or whatever one would want to call it. Pervert isn't what some people would call it. They'd call sex positive is what they would call it. Whatever you want to call it, I'm coming at things from a different world um, than what I would imagine the vast majority of the St. Louis population. But if you're talking about this podcast audience and the TMA audience, I would think that you know it's it's probably 70-30 pro threesome. Um, so you know. Uh, it's a different deal. But that still means 30% would be anti. What's your reasoning? And if you have had some bad stories, go ahead and share. Um, but my experience, nothing but positive. Anything, all it does is it's like a drug. Uh, you're like, oh, let's have another one. And then um, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Uh, Tim, you guys talk about the fan page on the show so much that it's almost required membership for people who love TMA. But I think you have a problem. Perfect. Of the 7,000 members, only about 100 post. And if you do post when you're, when you're used to just reading it, you get jumped on by this group of guys who feel like it's their job to police a Facebook page. My friends and I joined it near the very beginning, but ever since seeing the same few people posting over and over again, now we just read it for posts that we're interested in and make fun of the mean girl's behavior that goes on from about 10 people who are supposedly men who are in their 30s or 40s. It's driven Iggy off the page, and I think it's driving others off the page, or at the very least, keeping people from participating. Doug always says, block him, but I know you don't like to block people. I think the page, and in turn TMA, would benefit from either a post limit or blocking some of the repeat offenders I would post this on the fan page, but then I would be run off by Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, and their friends. Thanks. Uh, and that's another one. So just keep my name with hell. So um, the fan page, I'll tell you, we have, we, have, we have some constants and questions from the audience. Uh, I don't know how we would realistically implement a post limit. I don't necessarily think. My thing on the fan page is this. If you don't, want to participate don't participate and it's like kind of like a big deal i don't i really i'm i'm I need, now i need feedback i need feedback on threesomes and feedback on the fan page team mckernan inside stl.com and i say this be, you know like i've said on the radio and i'm not saying it coming from a place of um like anger about it i'm coming from a place of true curiosity about it like there's there's dog threads people love their dogs and then they'll have like a dog throw. They just post pictures of their dogs. I'm not a dog person. I'm not, I'm not anti-dog. My dog got run over in front of me when I was 15 years old and 14 years old. And it like just destroyed me. So I'm just not into dogs. Not, again, not anti-dogs, just not into dogs. So the dog threads would be an example of a post that I just scroll by. And then when you're making reference to, what did you say? 10 people. I think it's more than 10 people. Uh, who posts all the time, uh, like here, like I just went on the page and there's a there's a question about the best sandwich place in St. Louis. And I'm like, oh, I've seen this 3,000 times on the page. I'm not even, I don't even care what the vote is because then it's going to lead to people saying this place is overrated. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And they're arguing over what their taste buds are. And it's just, like, who gives a shit? It's like why we do the best fries in St. Louis thing. It's a parody on the off chance people thought we were serious. Uh, so I'm just not going to read it. So I scroll down. What's the next one? Uh, teachers are turning to sugar daddy dating site to supplement their salary. So this is your standard story about 
teachers hooking up with their students, or in this case, now it's any it's it's a, the teacher fantasy. Seen it a million times. Scrolling down, Stacy Dash arrested for domestic battery. That one I might click on because we've had her on the show, and when we had her on the show, uh, it it uh, it was it was. Um, Batshit, actually. I was going to just say it was interesting, and then I decided to go, you know what, I'm going to say what I think, which is batshit. Um, so I'm, I'll, I'll probably read that one. Buck Swope with a suggestion on how to get rid of interleague play, which is something that Andy Van Slyke talked about on the show this morning. I'll read that. A threat on White Castles, uh, and I see White Castles going to start selling beer. I will absolutely read that. Um, and I just keep uh, somebody talking about CBD. I'll scroll past that. Somebody talking about... Um, the schedule for the playoff games. So there's, so you just, if you're interested, you click on it. If you're not, you're not, you don't. I get now that, and that, that's the reading experience. Now you're talking about posting and then getting what made fun of. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily see a lot of that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong because I'm not reading everything. I feel like the the fan page has been pretty Maybe I'm wrong because I don't read everything, but we have a moderator. I think he does a hell of a job, Neil Allen, Craig Paquette. Um, and it's been pretty peaceful for a few months. Now, I've probably just jinxed it, but I just don't. He, he rarely texts me with like, hey, we got this situation going on. You know, I mean, it's pretty just. So I don't know. I think the thing's pretty good. You know, I recognize that there's. For those who've been on the inside STL message board, who were on the inside STL message board, and most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but this is what we had on on that site from the very beginning in 2005 until whenever. Um, you recognize, and then if you're on the fan page as well, you recognize certain personality traits that certain posters have, and you kind of, and, and and it's like they're different people, but it's the exact same traits that I saw. 12 years ago and you kind of just go whatever I don't know it's not really a huge deal so what I've always said about whether it be the message board or the fan page um, and how I handle social media and how I handle when things are written about the show or written about me or written about you know a business I'm involved in is people are welcome to opine if they say something that I know is not true, that's when I get involved. And getting involved doesn't mean like I go batshit. I just go, okay, no, that's, you know, like somebody said, this is an example of how benign it can be. Like uh, Gangster Pete has the, if we can just get hot, we can win this baby t-shirts now for the Cardinals. Just like we did for the Blues. Um, and somebody wrote, well, I can't, I, I'm going to vote against this because uh, Doug never really said it about the Cardinals. And I'm like, oh, actually, that's not true. The whole phrase came from the Cardinals, like in one of their middle of the road 2016, 17, or 18 years. And he just, you know, since it's always a little more difficult for Doug and the Cat to criticize the Cardinals than it is for me because they have to be down there all the time for TV jobs. Uh, you know, when I'm being critical of the Cardinals, they'll just say something kind of a joke. If we can just get hot, we can win this baby, even though it was pretty clear to us that that wasn't going to be happening. Um, so that's where it actually came from, the Cardinals. And I just posted, hey, just, you know, to set the record straight, not looking to start any shit. It actually started with the Cardinals. And then some people go, oh, man, how dare you criticize Tim or something like that. And I go, oh, is, uh, make, you know, the popcorn gifts come out and think it's going to be some big debate. There's, there's nothing. It's just it's factually wrong. Now, if somebody wants to write 
the fucking show sucks, Tim sucks, or you know, Doug sucks, or the cat sucks, or whatever. I like the show better when Jay's in or when Charlie's in or whatever. That's an opinion. And while it's critical of the show, you know, I'm, I've been a part of for 15 years, they have a right to say it. And, you know, I, I can opine or I can just go, okay, God bless. I mean, there's, for, for as many people who like the show, there are plenty of people who don't like the show. And that's just the, the deal. So you can't get, can't get worked up about it. But if somebody says, you know, Tim said this, and I didn't say it, well, then then I get involved, even if it's something as benign as, like I said, like a T-shirt. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, uh, something that I that I think is different with the fan page than maybe the message board, because I think it's a I think it's a it's definitely better, but it's better because it's a different dynamic. You have people having to use their real names or. They've contacted me privately or the moderator privately to say, hey, this is my real name, but I can't use it because of this job or I don't want to use it because of this I this job or this situation. Um, so in other words, it's m- the vast majority are real people. So it's a different dynamic. The thing that I think is additionally different is how. And I, I don't know, this 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 may, this may be it'll also be a terrible Swope's picks. It'd be boring, even though Buck Swope can make anything interesting. But how people will email me compliments and oftentimes say, I didn't want to say this on the fan page because I didn't want to be called a lemming or I didn't want to like your post because I didn't want to be called a lemming. And I'm like, this sucks that people now and a climate has been created, which again was not done maliciously by the cat because he did this like 12 years ago uh, with like the message board and how he said anybody was posting on there were lemmings. Um, where people are so conscious of being called a lemming or saying ring the bell or ring the gong if they say something that's complimentary that people therefore are not participating in discussions where they may be saying I agree with Tim because then they know somebody's going to pop up with the gong gif and so they have to do it either at this point for the most part it's done via email but sometimes Facebook DM and because they don't want to be called a lemming and so (laughs) you have this weird thing where uh, I get emails from people who say, I loved what you wrote, or I loved the Kelly Chase interview, for example. Um, but I didn't want to say anything on the fan page because I didn't want to call the lemming or, Hey, I love the, what the chase interviews, the, you know, a lot of people really love that interview. And again, I, I will say very seriously that anybody could have done that interview. Chase is just incredible. Um, as a guest that people feel like they can't post something cause they don't want to, that's supportive because they don't want to be called a lemming or they don't like posts of mine because they don't want to be called a lemming. I mean, it's kind of fucking weird, but I mean, I recognize the dynamic. It doesn't like cost me money or anything like that. It's, it's a little, uh, I don't know. I guess I would say it's a, it's kind of sad. Um, but you know, I don't know. But as far as the, the page's behavior overall, I think, unless I've just got my head up my ass, I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty good group of people, you know? And I'm talking about, like, not, not just like, hey, this is a group of people that raised $60,000 for Larry Nickel or, or did this or did that for charity or, you know, supports each other when somebody's dealing with some adversity or something really significant like a death or... Um, 
you know, I think there was somebody who was talking about a year or so ago, the witnessing a loved one in hospice and people were coaching them through it. You know, I mean, there's like, so it's not just like occasional. I mean, it's a, it's a large number of people, like a good group of people, you know, um, in a, in a major percentage. And yeah, you have people who join and then only pop up when they think there's something wrong going on with me or with the show or the plow hawk when he had his situation, the cat, his situations or whatever, um, you know, or just to chime in to complain about the producers or whatever it is. Um, but overall, I mean, by like, shit, my experience, 97 plus percent are good people who are fans of the show. And, you know, that's kind of it. You know, regarding like feeling like you can't post. Yeah, I understand that that's a dynamic that's consistent with the previous message board and then any other message board, I think, you know, that like, who's the new guy, you know? Um, But. I don't know. I don't know if I see mean girls behavior. I just I see like like the same people posting kind of like become they've become like a group of friends, I guess, but I don't feel like they bully other people. And if they did, I feel like Neil Allen, Craig Paquette would say something and then we would, we would, you know, tend to it. But I don't think, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. If you feel that way, once again, threesome feedback and uh, fan page uh, feedback. Um, T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. All right, we've gone, all right, what am I looking at? Hour and 42 minutes. Hour and 42 minutes. I got to do the uh, beverage thing. And I still haven't even come close to all the emails. Let me go to another fan page um, post. Look for Gabby Carter. That's our uh, image for this week. Um, let's see. Uh, why in the world am I not playing in the Ride Her Cup? Um, yeah, I uh, I don't have a good answer to that. That's uh, like a fan page golf tournament that's going on this weekend. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first-hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy. I've got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which of course was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why 
you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, Hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me and I go, oh, it's James Carlton here. Let me include him on the, on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like, I'm like, Oh yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up and I'm like, Oh God, I hope he does. Okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. The environment. Anybody who maintained a C average in school knows we're screwing up the planet. What do you think the olds will be willing to accept as cultural changes in the name of, quote, stop making it harder for future generations, all because you want to build on floodplains and turn the rainforest into soybeans? Well... I agree with that. Um, the first part, um, it's, 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 it really takes us back to the root of what I think the biggest issue is with the political divide right now. And Jack Danforth said this in one of the very first editions of this show. If you get your information from one place and it's different than the information that I get from another place, we're going to have a tough time agreeing. So right now, that which... I think a decent number of people take for granted that there is climate change um, is not something that everybody shares as a view. Okay, so you have you have that issue. Then the second one, I think for those who do believe there is climate change, um, I think some think it's just as simple as pass, not as simple as, but we need to pass legislation to fix it. And whereas that I would agree that that's true. You also have to have the entire world passing legislation. So that's an element of it. Um, and I don't know how easy that's going to be. And there's also real economic issues that that are impacted by whatever legislation you pass. So it's not as simple as the olds are being selfish. Uh, I don't think it is. Now, maybe people would disagree with me, but I don't think it is. So my my official position on this is, yes, there is climate change. Um, there has been climate change. Um, I think it is a serious issue. At the same time, and, 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 the issue, and one of the issues with it is that you have people who just under no circumstances will acknowledge that there is. So therefore, it's going to be tough to pass legislation because there are people who fear that they'll be voted out of office if they do do something that they think might be right, but their constituents don't want. Um, and then secondarily, this is not just a United States issue. So uh, it's a global issue. And what can realistically be done? Um, and of course, I'm sure there are a variety of answers. Honestly, I don't know them. So the last thing I want to do is start pontificating on something that I don't know. But I do feel like I have a, a gauge on a couple of the core issues, which are you have part of the United States populace, populace saying that there is no global warming. And then you have the fact that even if you do think there's global warming, uh, a recognition, I would imagine that this is not just, you know, this is not the United States warming. This is global warming. So, uh, and then if everybody's on that same page, then we go into what can be done as far as policy globally, that there's not going to materially impact economies. And, and that's, 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 you know, that, that's the balance that's the tough thing about it. Um, but I do think it needs to be talked about, intended to, with greater urgency and more focus than it is. But it's one of those things that it's like, in the current politics, it's like, oh, you think there's global warming? You're a bitch. 
Oh, you want you want to play a role in addressing the climate? You're a bitch. It's a weird deal. It's like almost not masculine to talk about it, and it's an odd thing. Um, but I I'll, but I'll, on the other side of it, those who do want to see something done about it, it's not as, in my opinion, it's not as simple as okay, we need to pass this legislation in the U.S. and oh, you like this candidate because they're really green, uh, so therefore you're going to support them. It's not that simple because it's not like that's going to just fix everything. Not that we think that everything needs to be fixed in order to pass legislation. I want to make that clear. But it's a bigger issue. And then there are economic impacts and they impact people. So it is, you know, but still, you know, there has been progress made. It just might not be at the pace that people feel like there should be or the progress was made. And then a lot of those uh, pieces of legislation have been rolled back in the last three years. And so you're going, okay, now we got to start over. And do we even have enough time? Human beings, um, I think, have a very tough time understanding or I, I'll speak for myself, but I don't think I'm alone on this, coming to grips with that which existed before we were around and trying to navigate problems that most likely will be arriving after we're gone and it's it, I think it may go against our instincts of surviving uh, for our own survival and not necessarily for uh, whether it be our children our grandchildren our great grand whatever it is and I think you have that at the core issue um, in addition to the, some who just absolutely don't believe that it's real but um, I, I, I'm surprised, I suppose, that we're still dealing with it might not be real. But I guess inevitably that's now going to lead to an email, probably five paragraphs or so, from someone who uh, will then tell me that it's not real. And that's fine. And if you don't think it's real and you want to lay out your case, that's fine. I will, I will read it. Might even include it for questions from the audience. Um, all right, back to the email. Because I said I would read more emails. Approaching two hours on this podcast. Uh, let's see. Hey, Tim, up early feeding our newborn son, PLTD, QFTA. Had a random thought. I'm a big fan of the Dan Lebitard show on ESPN. I find a lot of similarities to TMA with satire and sarcasm compared to traditional sports talk show. They state many times on the show that they are the most downloaded popular show or podcast ESPN has, yet it doesn't seem that they are, that it doesn't seem that they are not widely promoted. Okay, double negative. I understand you're up early uh, feeding your newborn, so uh, your point was that they're not really promoted. It seems if that was the case, ESPN may try more of those type of shows rather than the traditional highlight or hot take shows that don't seem to be working. With your insight or interest in the way the industry is trending, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. Thanks. That's from Matt O., um, let's see. I have, I find the show, the, I don't listen to the radio show. I hear people who do listen to it, love it, love Stu Gatz. Uh, and occasionally on an afternoon, I might just have the TV show on in the background. Um, it's fine. It doesn't, I, I just, I'm kind of at a point where I just tune all of those shows, including Pardon the Interruption out. Whereas when Pardon the Interruption first came on, I was really into it because it became clear to me that it's like drive-by takes. And by that, I mean, you know, when Wilbon and Kornheiser are breaking down the Blues and Bruins, how many minutes of hockey is Tony Kornheiser really watched? You know what I mean? And, and God bless him, by the way. I don't feel like he's, he should be watching it because he's on part of the interruption. It's just, it's 
So it's not really, it's not my type of thing. I'm a podcast guy. I'm an in-depth nerd out, dig into the weeds, you know, the type of shit that doesn't have mass appeal. You know, I mean, here I am in my almost two hours of answering like only like five questions. I mean, I'm a, you know, I, I wouldn't play real well on, on, on that kind of thing. Um, I don't, so answering the question, is that the direction that things are going to go? Huh. Um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I, you know, there, I, I watch Succession. And I'll, this is my roundabout way of getting to the question. Uh, and last night's episode was uh, Kendall and Rhea. And I realize if you don't watch the show, this means nothing to you. And I'm naming the characters. But they're looking and they're, there's, you know, advertisement, looking at this advertisement for an internship. And Kendall or Rhea, Holly Hunter, jokingly says, oh, top 10 ways... Uh, to um, work to work for free at a clickbait uh, company, you know, and the reason I'm using that as an example because it was like an ad for for internships at their company, and they're acknowledging that they're clickbait and that's their business model, and that they're not going to pay the interns, and that there's this endless supply of people wanting to get into the industry, and so therefore they have cost controlled, um, quote unquote, interns who are really employees doing all of this work because, you know, as my high school baseball coach who cut me, Steve Nicole, right, multiple times said regarding the game of baseball, it's like a pyramid. The The base of the pyramid, it's everybody on, on T-ball, everybody's playing it. And then as we go up, then it's people who are playing, you know, whether it be grade school ball or, it, you know, wherever people are playing these days. And then it gets into select and now everybody can play, so the pyramid's getting smaller of the pools of players. And then you get into high school, and that's where my career ends. Because uh, you get cut if you're at a school where not everybody gets to play, and not everybody gets to make the team, I should say. And then it's, you know, then it's college, and then it's minor league, and then it's major league. And then you're at the very tip of the pyramid. And so with broadcasting, there are some similarities, although I don't necessarily know how much is talent-related. Certainly... It's a part of it. But, you know, I, I remember thinking this, and I may have said this before, I might not have, and I, it might be unpopular with some people at my alma mater, the University of Missouri Journalism School, and it's not intended to be, but I just remember, and it might not be going on now, but I remember 20 years ago being around the newsroom. Now, I was in that stuff because I wanted to be around the Cardinals, and that's all, that's the reason I was doing it. But I remember like in the newsroom feeling like there were a number of people who were doing it just because they wanted to be on TV. And so they didn't like have this background necessarily on on whether it be the issues or politics or a base of information. Like so many times you, you, you see these people who are like the analysts, uh, whether it be with podcasts or on television shows, and they went to like American University or they went to George Washington or Georgetown or something like that. Like they were... They got into television because their love was in politics or in the law or something along those lines. And I wonder, how, especially now with social media, which wasn't something I was, you know, dealing with in the nineteen late nineteen nineties. How much of it, I just want to be a star? I just want fame. Like, whereas for me, I would do anything to make a lot of money and have no one know who I am. 
No one know who I am. I would. It, that's that's exact. I have zero, and it's and, and it's just. I think it's mainly because I'm an introvert. I think. I don't know. I have no idea. Like I know that I exhale when I land in Florida, and I'm like, no one knows who I am here, and this is great. Um, and it's not that like everybody in St. Louis knows. I mean, shit. Like maybe what one percent of the population, if that. That might be high, but uh, you know, it's it's just it's a it's a weird deal when like you like somebody and I know Doug kind of rolls with it but it, I think it bothers him like when people take pictures of him and he's out you know and then they post it on social media I mean that's just a you know but I mean I guess I guess it's part of the deal but I give me the money and you can have the notoriety or whatever fuck that I think a lot of people would prefer that unless the money comes with the notoriety in other words like you're building your brand and your brand builds your notoriety and so therefore you make more money um but uh, you know regarding journalism and broadcasting you know I think what's going on with like pardon my take with Barstool is has to be and if it's not catching the attention of executives um, for what the public really wants, for what this generation really wants, they're missing the boat. You know, TMA was born out of an observation that there was nothing in St. Louis for young people at the time. And that observation was made, I think, at the Super Bowl in New Orleans in 2000, it would have been 2002. And I was talking with a gentleman who worked at what was at the time Clear Channel. And I said, what do you think about a show that would, you know, be sports, but, you know, you're talking about everything. And, and it would appeal to younger people because I just, as, a, as a, at the time, what, 25 years old, I'm like, I, there's nothing for me to listen to. Bored out of my fucking mind. And uh, he's like, no, I think that'd work. We have some shows like that around the country. He goes, yeah, that might work. But then, you know, I kind of pursued it. I remember following up with an email. I might have it saved. And it's not like he's like, no, I don't think so. Because he was, he he was, um, you know, he, he liked what I did on television. At the time, I hadn't started doing radio yet. And um, so I didn't start until June of 2002. And he, uh, you know, just kind of understandably dismissed it. I mean, fuck, the, the, the number, how many people have emailed me who wound up having, like, Moon on the Rizzuto show emailed me about interning for us. And now he's a part of the most successful show in St. Louis. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, dude, don't don't bother with it. It you know you don't want to get into this, you know. Um, I think there's a guy. I want to make sure I get it right because I don't because it's it's kind of embarrassing to me. Um, and this is the proverbial questions from the audience, buying time thing. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I want to make sure because I'm kind of embarrassed by this. Uh, yeah, Aaron Goldsmith. Okay, who is who's on Fox? I believe he's the Mariners broadcaster. Yeah, so Aaron Goldsmith, I believe, was interning at KFNS. Now I'm only six years older than him, um, but I had started there at a young age, and I don't know when he was interning at KFNS. I don't even know if the morning grind had started then, because he went to Principia, and he asked me as I did too growing up. You know, I would talk with take your pick of whomever. Frank Cusimano, I know, was one. Joe Buck was certainly kind. Just get advice, Bob Ramsey, from people who are in the business. And I guess Aaron did that with me. And yeah, he was in a play-by-play broadcasting as an intern for the Gateway Grizzlies. That was in 2007. Oh, geez, so that's when we were. <laughs> 
That was during a difficult time for the morning grind, about to be the morning after. Um, so that's probably when we had the conversation. And he came on, I guess when the Cardinals were playing the Mariners, or maybe he had a Fox National game, and he said, Tim, do you remember telling me to not get into broadcasting? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're calling the National game on Fox, and you're the Mariners play-by-play guy, and you're, I think at the time, like 31. So obviously I'm fucking right. It's, it's not... It's, it's not an it's not an across the board thing. I mean, Bob Ramsey told me not to get into the business, and he didn't know who you know. He, he I was an intern in 1998, and it was and he was right. By the way, mathematically he was right. For every one person who it winds up working out for, and they're in their 40s still doing it. Uh, God, how many are there who were trying to do it in their 20s, and then either realized it wasn't going to happen in their 20s, or just gave up the ship. In their 30s. Shit, man. I don't... The ratio might be like a 1 to 100. More. More, actually. Yeah, more. So you're a lottery ticket, right place, right time. Certainly there's some element... Uh, there's an element of talent. But I mean, you know, the morning grind slash morning after is kind of this lightning in a bottle phenomenon. Because, you know, it, it really did die in 2006 when Martin left the show. And then we were able to keep, get it going. And I just... In my mind, I've always thought this thing is so unique, and I was reminded of it when Martin left the show, and I was like, oh my God, this show is not nearly the same. And I took it for granted how easy and fun it was and how popular it was that when it came around the second time, I'm like, you don't, you don't get this, and you got to hold on to it and try to grow it as much as you can. And, but then you'd have some people who would be on the outside looking in going, well, you guys really didn't do anything with yourself. You just did an AM radio show in St. Louis. And then I'd kind of go, well, if you really knew the salaries of like around the country in broadcasting, even the people who you see on network stuff, you would realize that, that there, don't get me wrong, there are people making millions of dollars doing this stuff. But there aren't many making what you probably think they're making if you see them on ESPN or if you see them like hosting a sh- like a sh- studio show or whatever the case might be. It, it's because, Why? Because it doesn't impact the bottom line if they bring somebody else in. So you have no leverage. Well, in radio, you do have leverage if you generate revenue and have an audience. But when I was at KMOV, I didn't have leverage. So what Pardon My Take and Barstool have done is I think they've opened the eyes of these executives who have just been kind of churning out the same like homogenized product and going, oh, the personality matters, the talent matters. Whereas there is a surplus of talent as far as applicants go. Like if I needed to fill out a lineup, I could do it probably without paying a dollar. But who would actually generate an audience and revenue? Well, now, now we're talking about a very finite number of people. And if you want to localize it, you're talking about shit. I don't even know. Like, are we even counting on two hands? But part of the deal, in my opinion, needs to be you need to have your your bookends that you know have an audience and you know your sales staff can sell all while finding new talent and giving them opportunities on your off-peak hours, whether it be early mornings, nights, weekends, whatever the case might be, to see if you can find the next Aaron Goldsmith. Um, that, to me, is the key, and maybe that hasn't been done in St. Louis as, as well as um, you know it, it could have been. But that's, that's, that's my view. So what, your question on Lebetard, um, I think the trend actually starts with, with pardon my take. 
and also that that I don't that the podcasting is the way people are going to access their already are, but are going to continue to access their content, and something else will come along, I would imagine. So these shows that were such a big deal, I just don't know how many people are going to make a large amount of money doing those things just by like getting hired by ESPN. If and by that I mean like why wouldn't you just own your own thing, you know? Um, unless somebody's paying you such a ridiculous amount of money that you, you've done the math and it's like, yeah, even if I ran my own thing, I'm not going to make this much. Or I can run my own thing, but now I have the downside of, you know, being the one responsible for financing it and running it and all of the things that come with, with your own business. So, um, yeah, I do think that's the trend. I think you're right on target. I absolutely think it's the trend. I mean, the highlight show is if it's not dead, it's dying and it's real close to death. Um, and that is it. But, you know, it takes personalities, you know, um, you can't just, you can't just throw anybody in there and have the same show. You need chemistry and you, you don't know if you have chemistry until you put somebody in there with another person. Uh, all right, one more, cause I've gone, I have officially gone two hours. Um, I just finished listening to the Kelly Chase podcast and it was phenomenal. All right, I'm going to pause here to let the compliments soak in, but I'm also going to drink water. Ah. Towards the end, you mentioned not going back and listening to your interviews and your podcasts and shows because of your self-loathing. I've heard you mention this before about how embarrassed you are with your former self, i.e. the Lou Holtz interview at SEC Media Days 20 years ago. I, too, am horrified with embarrassing or awkward social moments from my past to the point where I physically shake my head at times. I, I don't know if I've ever said that before, but I actually do the exact same thing, sir. Um, it's an incredible distraction from the present to be reminded and embarrassed of your former self. No doubt we are all fallible human beings striving to be better, but it is really difficult to tell the voice in your head to move on. The funny thing is, when I talk to the people involved in some of my moments, they either don't remember or laugh when they hear how serious I took my gaffe. The only thing I know to do is to try to make other people feel more comfortable and at ease so as to spare them years of self-loathing. It doesn't help much with mine. How do you continue in such a public role exposing yourself daily to the possibility of another minute misstep that you beat yourself up over for the next few years? Uh, you can call me the Farmington Farm Boy, but please don't read my name. Um, another name withheld. So, um, I think to answer the question, you're, you're a hundred percent on target and I'm always flattered when people like know more than I know about myself. And I mean that, I think some people go, oh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I go, no, because that means you're really listening and you're into it and you're right. And then also I can completely relate to thinking of things I have done and I just shake my head either like, I can't believe I did that. That was so dumb. Or I can't believe I did that because it hurt that person so much and I hate myself for doing it. Or I can, like I can picture like some TV moments right now where I'm going, oh my God, what was I doing? You know, and just like, oh, like it makes me just go, ugh, you know, and I'm the one who did it. It's not like anybody told me to do it. It's like one thing if somebody told me to do it and then I did it and I can at least blame it on them. I did it. Um, so as far as talking about it publicly, I'm telling you, man, it, it's, it, it, it's, but it's the truth so much for me and what I do with the radio show and the podcast, which to me at this point is so just like natural. Uh, and I don't even think anything of it. 
is because of the Howard Stern movie and 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 the Howard and and, and probably a Howard Stern show, but um, specifically the part in the movie where he's talking about talking about you know what's going on in his life and just being honest with the audience, which I guess. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know if anybody, and I'm sure other, I'm sure like the Rizzuto show, they have to do it. I'm sure, uh, we're just on at the same time, so I don't hear it. Uh, Frank Opinion definitely does it. Dave Glover definitely does it. Um, like, and they, they make it a part of the show, but you don't make it a part of, I think it can be mistaken. And I do think it's a mistake because here I am in the same podcast talking about how I don't want notoriety and how I'd rather just like nobody know who I am, but still make as much money as possible, uh, which can't really exist in 2019, I don't think. Um, All while acknowledging that part of what I've done, which is absolutely ripped off from Howard Stern, is, is, is bring my life and my life experiences into the show and make them content but that wasn't really strategic that was just when I saw that movie and I was watching the Stern show on E! Entertainment Television at the time um, I was a fan because I liked that he would talk about things that I felt like other people wouldn't talk about I'm not the he tells it like it is guy which usually means oh his views match up with mine and I found somebody who's saying the shit that I'm too scared to say in private conversations Um, but because I don't know if he tells it like it is, but but that he um, he'll have he'll he normalized that which was demonized. So in other words, sex, or you know, talking about things about himself that people would otherwise demonize because they're uncomfortable or they're embarrassing. And it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, I think most of us can relate to this. Just like what you said there, Farmington Farm Boy, about thinking of past moments and just shake like truly having like a physical reaction like going oh like like for real like I just like because I know I know my moments that I think of and it like makes my heart drop I'm so either just like disappointed in myself or um you know embarrassed really even though like you said most people when I bring up these gaffes as you're making reference to yourself don't even remember them it's and a perfect example for that would be if you've listened to Joe Buck on my podcast you know the two times he's been on he talks about the Brooks Kepka thing where he was given the wrong name of Jenna Sims. He was given his ex-girlfriend's name right after he won the U.S. Open. I think it was at Aaron Hills. And for Joe, it bothers him still to this day. And even in the moment, I didn't think anything of it. So much so that I tweeted about it, but like in a joking tweet. But it bothered him so much, um, you know, that, it, that he's still talking about it. And, uh, and I remember Joe telling me, you know, when I was dealing with the Albert Pujols, Jack Clark stuff, he called me and I always thought it was odd coming from him. And now he's got the Kepka thing that bothers him. He goes, you know, he said a couple things. What have we learned from this? And he laid out a couple things about who to make sure you're in business with and not biz- in business with. And he made sure to say, and also no one cares. He goes, to you, this seems like this is the biggest deal in the world. And, and for most people, it's just kind of like something they're talking about, but they don't really care. And I'm like, yeah. I guess you're right. Now, it felt like everybody cared, and it did, you know, to this day, I still think that. I don't really think about it much, but, you know, uh, yeah, when you have, like, what you feel like is the whole world focusing on you, in reality, it's just like entertainment, and then it's on to the next thing for them the next day. But, you know, for, for, for talking about the stuff, it's what I know. 
Like I could talk to you right now, like I guess a talk show host would do about take your pick. What do you want me to do? We do Cardinals uh, and Braves and, uh, and, and give you information that you can get anywhere else, you know, or, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's you're listening because either you really like me and respect my opinions or you really hate me and you want me to fuck up. I know that exists. It's part of the game. I knew that existed before the the Stern, the famous moment, the other favorite moment in the Stern movie where it's like, well, his ratings are up. People who like him listen for an hour. Okay, but what about people who hate him? They listen for even longer. You just kind of accept it. I wish it wasn't that way, but it's also part of the deal. You know, if I, if I were to rattle off names of people who I think in St. Louis, everybody kind of goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a nice guy. I like him. How many people are really going, oh, I hate that person, but then at the same time, how big are their audiences? Now, I don't say this stuff because I, know, I think it's going to get a bigger audience. It happens to be what I really think, and it's just me being transparent, um, even if I know it's not popular. Like to be, quote unquote, agnostic, I guess, would be the right term. Um, perverted or sex positive would be the term to say when I think the Cardinals are going to lose a series or a game or that they should sell at the trade deadline or I think the Blues are, you know, whatever, a mess and Missouri's a byproduct of their shitty schedule or whatever. These are things that are unpopular. And I couldn't say them, although I did say them when I was doing television, but then the TV station didn't like that I would say them, which I always thought was so fucked up. And I still think it's fucked up. There, there needs to be like a liberation of television personalities, like this faux... Um, Everybody is so happy and wonderful on the, the television news desk is just, you know, so unhealthy. But whatever. I don't give a shit. It doesn't impact my life. But I, it did then. Um, and so I'm just saying what I, the stuff that I can speak with, with, with life experiences on and then, and then talk about probabilities, whether you want to talk about sporting events or politics, and then observations that I make from from interacting with a, a decent amount of people who listen to the podcast or the radio show. And uh, and I love it. I love it. I mean, fuck. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this, this recording device. We're two hours and 12 minutes, and I could do this for five more hours. I'm going to say, okay, we're going to give you 10 grand if you can do 10 hours straight of talking. I'd be like, fuck, I'll do it. You know? And I'll be like, I can do it. But, it's, but my mind's so fucking weird that, and I'm not saying in a good way, that I can do it. You know, as I've always said, if Doug and the Cat and I or Doug J and I or Doug Charlie and I or whomever needed to do, uh, you know, 10 hours of TMA, we could do it. I mean, probably like enjoy it. So it's just it's just the way our minds work. But, you know, there have been also times where I've done sports talk radio and I'm working with somebody and I'm like, oh, my God, we're just like filling time. You're saying something vapid and then you turn it over to me and I'm going to say something vapid and then I'm going to turn it over to you. And then we're like going to play a soundbite or you're going to do a commercial or I'm going to do a commercial. And then we're going to go, yeah, and let's take a look at the, the the Brewers and the Nationals and how that looks. And, well, the Brewers, they just keep doing it, even though you don't have household names and their pitching staff. And, wow, take a look at Scherzer, Corbin, and Strasburg. Boy, that's going to be tough. That could be a good team. And you're just going, here's, here's – I'm not really saying anything even though I'm talking, the Quinn Snyder theory. So, I don't know, man. I To me, I guess – I guess it is weird, but to me, it's all I know. So therefore, it isn't weird to me. But if you're taking a step back, like maybe in a few years or maybe even a few months or maybe I never will, I'll be like, what the fuck was I doing talking about all this shit? 
you know? Like, I made the stuff that's personal public. You know, I do it by choice. And if it does involve other people, I make sure that they're on board. I'm never going to, like, you know, take your pick of whatever, like, amusing stories I could have from being around the Cardinal Clubhouse. I'm not going to out those because I know that not everybody will be on board with me outing them. So it's, you know, so this stuff involves me individually, and I'm comfortable talking about it. Um, and I guess maybe this is the stuff. I remember um, making a reference to Jenna Jameson, like my first week on the radio at KFNS in 2002, and didn't think anything of it. Didn't think a thing of it. Did, don't think a thing of it now. But I remember the person who was the program director was like like critiquing the shows, and he goes, love the Jenna, Jenna Jameson reference because that's something a lot of the audience can relate to. And I'm going, okay. I mean, what, was that really like a, an historic moment that I made reference to? Like, what's the big fucking deal? But I guess it was a big deal. But I'm legitimately interested in porn. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I know I'll get into trouble if I make a reference to a porn star. So now I will say, Jenna Jameson, react, send in your emails and hate on me. I'm fascinated by Jenna Jameson. Watch Jenna Jameson movies. Enjoy them. At the time, enjoyed them. So that's just, you know, but if I were to sit here and fake my way through a, like college basketball, for example, at this moment, couldn't have any less interest in college basketball. I'm irritated when I see a tweet from Gabe about Missouri college basketball. I'm just like, oh, probably because I like used to love it. Now I'm like, I'm just so, just totally detached from it. I couldn't do it. But I wouldn't do it because I know I don't know what I'm talking about. So there's plenty of times where maybe you're listening and you're going, motherfucker, you don't know what you're talking about. But I'm still listening. And I'm sitting here thinking, I know what I'm talking about. But I'm never, nor do I ever want to work with anybody. I'm never saying something for effect. And nobody on TMA is saying something for effect. Doug thinks what he thinks. You might not like what he thinks about politics. Or you might absolutely love what he thinks about politics. But I'll tell you this, he thinks it. And that's important to me. I always want it to be genuine. That's very important to me because that's when you get honest discussions. And you got everybody getting along and, and comfortable with each other in order to give each other shit. But, um, you know, I, I guess with regard to what Farmington Farmboy asked about, like the talking about things that otherwise other people wouldn't talk about. Yeah, clearly I can tell like when I'm talking about something that's personal, I can tell Doug and the cat aren't going to get involved in that. But that's not what they do. And they're also in the TV thing. You know, it's a different ball game. I get it, man, because I, I was there. And I remember going up to Alan Cohen, who's the GM of KMOV's office, and uh, and he said, you know what I watch at night? And I'm like, I mean, my God, I mean, you're the GM. You could like, you could end me right now if you wanted to. I'm not going to venture a guess. I'll say the 10 o'clock news on Channel 4. He goes, yeah, I watch that. And he goes, but I love watching Howard Stern on E. And I'm like, really? And he goes, he's the best best interviewer, best show, because but I'd never hire him to be a reporter at the station. And I said, okay. And he said, he goes, because there are, there are images that we have to keep up and we just can't have. And so he's like, you got to cut back on some of the stuff you're saying on the radio. And the, the good thing for me is fortunately the radio was starting to pay me a substantial amount more than what TV was. And so I could kind of be like, yeah, I'm done with TV. I don't, I don't really, I definitely don't like it. And, uh, and it doesn't pay me much and I'm working nights and weekends. So fuck this, you know, and I didn't say it like that. I mean, Alan and I have a better relationship now than when I worked there. Um, and I liked the people I work with shit. I've been working with Doug now for, if you go back to when we started doing TV, almost 20 years. Um, so, uh, I just, I just want to be able to say what I think. 
and and not have to worry about repercussions. Now, I recognize here in 2019 that there are certain things that I cannot say. At the same time, fortunately, the things I think, it's not like I'm like, oh shit, I better not let my racist thoughts out. You know, I happen to think that which is acceptable. I do think, however, that people are getting is what is in vogue right now, a term that I don't know how many people were using three months ago, but everybody's talking about cancel culture. I do think people are getting like erased from the world for verbal missteps. And I think that is wrong. I think that is wrong in a big way. Fortunately for me, my things that are not uh, up with the mainstream are kind of like, okay, so he likes to watch porn and talk about it and he's not sure there's a God and and he's on an AM radio station in St. Louis. We got bigger fish to fry than this clown. So, um, but I but I say what I think. And it's not, I'm not saying that to be like, man, nobody else does, so please listen to me. I happen to say what I think, and I also happen to tell stories of things that I experience that for the most part, I am in a spot where they're involving me, and I'm not like, you know, talking out of school, you know, whereas like, uh, wow, I saw Jim Edmonds and Mark McGuire do this and I can't believe it, you know, or I was around at, you know, this bar when the blues were out with the cup and this guy was really wasted and he had these girls on him and, you know, you just can't say that stuff. I mean, you can, but that's, that to me is bad ball. So, you know, if everybody's on the same page, nobody's outing anybody or violating the Omerita, as I say, then talk about it. And if people and the fact that people want to listen to it is, I think, the thing that surprises me the most. But I'm glad they do. I mean, shit. If you're still listening to this, you've been listening to me for two hours and twenty minutes, and I've talked about talked about the impeachment, talked about cardinal playoffs, talked about uh, the threesome or foursome, and how to pursue that, and the fan page, and uh, and self-loathing. And I think I've left some a couple things out. Um, so God bless. Thank you for listening. Two hours and 20 minutes. I've done it. Now it's time to barbecue for the family. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you to our sponsors. As always, send them whatever questions or thoughts you have. I love it. I love that this is like, this thing keeps like evolving as more people listen, then you get more emails. And then these, these things kind of just become the, the episode segue into the next episode. T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Tip, I feel like I should give away like a, a free six pack if you listen to all two hours and 20 minutes of this, but I guess people are. I, that's great. I'm, my throat hurts from all of this talking. Um, thank you to our sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Thank you to Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, evergreenstl.com, Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com. Thank you to Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, uh, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exit, online at landoff.com. Chevy, find new roads. For Gangster Pete, for Iggy, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of The Tim McKernan Show. Questions from the audience from the homeloanexpert.com studios.